and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that eats more rice than the Fong tribe. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and would you guys like to see some elephant dung? I'm Mike Bloom, and I feel like a legless chicken racing against a weasel. Uh, I think you're supposed to say sleek weasels there, Mike, but we'll talk about that. I'm Paul Ostelson, and very offended. I used to always call Montana Earth Last Eden, so I didn't know about this Gabon place, but I guess we'll have to talk about it. <laughs> and here we are, finally on season 17. It has taken us, what, about six, five and a half, six years now to get here, but we are officially on Survivor Gabon, and I cannot be more excited. Wait, wait, to talk wait, about wait, this. wait, 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 wait. Survivor Gabon's colon 17 slash Earth's Last Eden slash. We're in Africa again, slash, oh my god. Slash Exile Island? Are we doing that one too? <laughs> oh my lord. Uh, just Exile, it's not really an island. I'm pretty sure the 19th castaway on Survivor Gabon is a helicopter, considering how many panning shots we get of the African safari. Yes. Well, again, this is a season that many people did not predict we would get to. Uh, they thought, oh, wow, it's amazing they actually got to Micronesia. That was like the, the goalposts. And all of a sudden, we're now in the first season after Micronesia, which means we are that much closer to coach. And I'm nice so excited. See, nice to see that people underestimated how much we enjoy the sound of our own voice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we really just do this. We didn't. I didn't even realize till like the eighth episode that you guys were releasing these. I thought we were just talking about stuff. Yeah, so we anyway, we are here with uh, the four of us on Survivor Gabon, although I do want to bring up something. This is uh, some news that has been floating around out there in the internet, and I want to just bring it up that we are uh, not going to be a four-person podcast for very much longer. It appears that our, our friend, I know there's been some rumors out there, I just wanted to uh, bury these here so everyone is aware of what's going on, that our friend, the temp, the one who we gave it an opportunity for opportunity to has now graduated he's found an actual job so our temp mike bloom will probably be leaving at the end of the summer which will likely be through token team so uh enjoy his dulcet tones now while you have them anything but dulcet oh i'm so sad about this i'm so sad temp we'll miss you so much Oh, perfect. Very Corinne-like tone with you, Paul. I feel like you're, you're Susie already. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't get into specifics. Um, some people out there might know that, you know, I have a grace, gratefully received an opportunity to be able to cover the, uh, the current seasons of Survivor starting in the fall. And so I really wanted to take the time to kind of like figure out my life and focus around those new capacities. And I don't want to delay these guys any further by working on something else. So I thought I'd take a leave of absence uh, and they, you know, carry forward while I work on uh, my other opportunity. But I mean, we, we have plenty of time to be, you know, sappy later on. Let's get to the train wrecky goodness that is Survivor Gabon. So what you're trying to say is you were a lawyer, but now you're trying to find yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. I still got the tie on. I still have the suit. So Maddie can't trust me, but I'm ready to you know, navigate the sandy crater that is the outside world. All right. So hard to find that crater. Exactly. <laughs> the sandy crater. <laughs> I wish I could do the Maddie turkey laugh. I would love to do that at certain points during this podcast. So if you just hear me do the, that's, that's my Maddie impression right there. Well, well I'm, I'm sure, mean, I'm sure you, if you grinned wildly, we could actually hear it. I mean, Mario, you've spent some time living in California, but you've never lived in Pacific Palisades. So, you know. I've not. I, I'm trying to work on my Maddie impression. I'll kind of ease into it organically. So we'll get up to his little surfer voice later. All right. So anyway, uh, Gabon, this is something we've been talking about for quite a while. And we've been, in fact, with the four of us have been talking about it this week, just sending instant messages back and forth. But this is one of those seasons, like I'm watching it this week and I don't remember hardly any of it. It's funny, like if you've seen Gabon before, you remember the big stuff. 
I know people hate when we drop spoilers, but stuff like Sugar Shack and Randy and Bob and Crystal and all, there's lots of stuff going on here. But I was watching these first, uh, I think we're going to go through five episodes today. And I didn't remember a lot of it, like some of the dynamics, some of the little challenges. I'm like, wow, I don't remember that. Like, I didn't remember there was a A, a Jackie, B, a Kelly, and that C, they were actually or may have may or may not have been the same person. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. So, yeah, was it was it like that for you guys, too, when you were watching these episodes that like a lot of this seemed like it was almost new to me? I just want to say about the the Kelly Jackie thing before everyone gives the responses. I remember Mario way back when we were in communication. I was in college at this time. I was no longer in high school, so our conversations were like totally legal and legit. But I remember you making some comment to me. We were messaging about something, and you, I remember back at the time you said, "Oh God, I can't even get Jackie and Kelly straight." So uh, nothing has changed uh, since the era <laughs> of Gabon. Yes, no hugging, no learning. So what I will say about Survivor Gabon is that I personally think Survivor Gabon becomes Survivor Gabon around like episode six or seven, whenever the double tribal council is where Ace and Dan go home, because that's when we really start getting into We're going to see a lot of like unanimous lopsided votes to start off this first part of Survivor Gabon as we get through these episodes in the first part. But it's once we get to like the dynamics start shifting, we go through these multiple swaps and, and things, you know, all these big head honchos in terms of strategic prowess are really going to end up being shown the hut door at the end of the day. That's when it really turns into what we love about Survivor Gabon. These first few episodes, we're going to get the one storyline I do feel like we're going to get through these first few episodes is Fong sucks, which is going to be a recurring theme throughout the course of the season, or at least in the pre-merge. But outside of that, you know, the tomfoolery that happens in that two-hour premiere, there's not too, too much as we sort of, you know, wade through the the chaff of the wheat that is Paloma, Jackie, and Kelly. Something that I was noting about this was, yeah, it, I, I, I was, I'm on the same train as you guys in the sense that I remember Gabon as a concept and as a season, but a lot of the little ins and outs, like if you're like, hey, do you remember this one part in Gabon? I'll be like, no, I, I really don't. But something that really struck me upon a rewatch, like, you know, we always talk about what our impressions are when we rewatch it. Like, ah, oh, this holds up or, ah, oh, you know, this wasn't as impactful or something like that. Gabon is an odd season so far. Like, it's just odd. And I think that the reason is, is, is just as sort of Mike is pointing out is that Gabon doesn't become Gabon until sort of that double tribal council, because these first kind of boots, I would say fall below the Ashby line. Mm-hmm. And not only do they fall below the Ashby line, but, the survivor editors or, 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 or I don't know, the editors, the people that be, the, the people who put the story and the narrative together really didn't put, I'm not going to say care, because there's a lot of care in this season, you know, with, with the shots and the, and the cinematography and a lot of the sort of stuff there. But they, they really didn't go out of their way to present any of these Ashby line characters more than what they were and their, and their ineffectiveness at Survivor. And so, you know, you get into this fact where, like, you get into a survivor season and, you know, you can basically say, OK, there's 16, 18, 20 or whatever contestants in there. And you could probably write off a good six to eight of them off the bat is nice people, but probably aren't going to win a million dollars. And it's like this season has a lot of those people. And they're basically like, yeah, this person had no shot. And here's why. And so you really see a lot of just very odd stuff going in these first couple of episodes. I'm sorry, Jay. Did you not realize that Kelly is not only an assistant manager and an assistant buyer, but it's at one of the high-end retail stores in Chicago? That does not scream Ashby line to me, sir. 
<laughs> well, oh, wow. I mean, I, I like with everything you guys are saying. I'm like on just a totally different page from you guys because I think my experience with the Kabon is a little bit different. So, I, coming off of Micronesia when that aired, when I was very upset going into it because I was so mad about the Amanda Kimmel stuff in China, and I just kind of was going to be over Survivor, and I really got back into it by the end of the season. Gabon was a really interesting experience for me because it was my first year um, out of high school going to college, but I hadn't actually gone away for college yet. I spent my first year living at home and it was this horrible experience, but Survivor Gabon was one of the shining lights in it. That's where one of my best friends and I, we watched Gabon every single week and we watched it with my mom and her great commentary on everything and her take on everything as a super casual. And I just have so many fond memories of watching Gabon and so many jokes came out of, of my, what were you going to say, Jay? Don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying it. Like, yes, I don't think, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, it's yeah, odd. Let me, yeah, but what I want to say is that, yeah, I, I, no, I agree with you there. It's a, a very, very odd. But I think what was so fun for me to rewatch it this time, too, which I've, I've watched it a, a decent number of times, was I love all the old school elements of it. I love the throwback to the original Survivor Africa soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um and I actually don't, I mean, Michelle, take her, leave her, Jackie, we didn't get to see much of, but so Kelly, and, and maybe my experience with Kelly is because um, my friend who watched Gabon with me, she got Kelly in the survivor pool that we did. She got drawn Kelly. So we had like our eyes on Kelly every single week because this friend of mine is like super competitive and really want to win. And every week it was like palm in the face of like what a, a disastrous wreck Kelly is. So I really paid attention to that rewatching it. All the great Kelly lines that I hope uh, I hope will prove to you that Kelly is far above the Ashby line. Bold words, my friend. So I guess what Paul is saying there is that doing things, hanging out with Paul's mom makes things way better. So maybe Jay, if you had hung out with Paul's mom, you would have enjoyed the this, this season more. You ain't lying. Yeah, I'll have to send her out. If anyone doesn't like a bone, we'll uh, we'll we'll arrange an exchange of sorts. Well, I, I guess we should talk about the location a little bit. We alluded to it at the end of the Micronesia podcast, but I mean, we're going back to Africa here. I think it's clear from behind the scenes stuff that you know they were sort of finagling this move to HD. And I guess I think it was good on the producer's part to say, you know, what landscape can we use to sort of take advantage of this new fantastic quality of film that we're using. And I know that I, I sort of poked fun at the myriad of landscape shots that they, they use through B-roll uh, in Survivor Gabon, but it is beautiful. And beautiful. on top on top of that, I mean, another throwback to Survivor Africa, they have the huts for the tribal council. They even have, you know, Jeff's snuffer is the elephant head. And I feel like it's it's touches between, like, little touches like that and just the grandiose landscapes and animal footage that they get to see. We're going to talk a little bit about elephants, I'm sure, over the course of this podcast, that really does, Paul, you sort of made reference to the old school references uh, or, you know, sort of tenets throughout the course of this season. That's definitely one of them for me, is this idea that, you know, you are living within this vast paradise. It's not just about you sometimes. It's about the environment that you're part of. And Survivor Gabon, I feel like, is a main example of that. I should point out, and I think I mentioned this last time, that I've never seen anything in HD. I don't own an HGTV. I don't hang out with any people. I don't know anybody who has one. So, How I've, are you I, in technology? Because I don't, <laughs> I don't hang out with people. I'm a, I'm a hedgehog. I do not emerge from my little burrow ever. Mario's the guy who leaves his work at work, okay, Jay? Exactly. 
But I'm saying I'm saying that I've never seen anything in HD, and even I think Gabon is one of the most beautiful seasons, and I, it looks 2D to me, same as everything. So it's one of those things. But yeah, even watching this, my wife and I are like, oh, well, like there's a lot of really pretty landscape in this scene, and like it doesn't even look like what you think Africa would look like. Well, and this is a big deal for Gabon, the country itself, because they were really Survivor was their first step in in trying to promote ecotourism in the country, and that, that's why you see the interactions with animals in the season with contestants is way way different than all the animals in Kenya who are so used to, you know, all the weirdos and Frank and stuff walking through all the time. It is a totally different feel um, of these contestants being dropped in this wilderness that is not used to having, you know, random Westerners dropped, yeah. dropped in their fields. Instead and of I, weirdos, you get perfectly nat- normal people like Maddie interacting with them. <laughs> and right. not only, not only the, the, the panoramic, you know, uh, helicopter shots that, that Mike was talking about, but, but just the challenges as well. And, and just mm. the thing, and it's not just, and we're going to talk about them when we get there, but just as a point, those challenges, they were, they were uh, involved. They, they, they built nice things, but they also spread it out. Like, you know, Survivor, I get they're doing it more on a budget these days and stuff like that. But it's like the one big structure they have now is they, they hand built that like gigantic sort of structure that usually has like the water slide and, and the, and the thing going up. But it's like in Gabon, they use the environment. They had people running up cliffs or throwing, you know, mm-hmm. balls down cliffs or, you know, doing these things. Or, or they had the one where they had to roll the gigantic Indiana Jones boulder, sort of like they did in, in Survivor Africa. But, you know, it was, it was basically like roll it two miles over just Savannah, you know? And it was like everything was so spread out and, mm. and just using the environment is just fantastic. It's even just something as simple as, as you said, Jay, utilizing a hill for a challenge. Mm-hmm. Even just a small change in elevation really varies up the types of challenges you can do. And I'm sure we're even going to even talk about in these first few episodes, they're really going to utilize not only the open space, but the variety of things you can do in it. They're going to have access to barely any water challenges. I think the polo challenge might actually be the only challenge in the water that they, they do the entire season. So it allows them well, to they, get a, they a little two. creative. They had two first couple. They had the slip and slide. Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess if that counts, yeah, as they're, as they're flying into the lake. But I feel like then that allows them to get a little creative. And as a result, you get, yeah. like, the fruit swinging challenge or the, the balls and the shields that we're going to be talking about. So it allows them to be creative. And as a result, I feel like you get these fun challenge moments because it's things that we haven't seen before. All right. Um, we're going to talk again. We'll talk a lot about this as we get to the challenges, but I want to jump right into as going back to what our show is, Survivor Historians. Let's talk about, kind of about the historical uh, reaction to Gabon, how fans have treated it through the years, how they responded to it at the time, what they think of it. And I'll just say from my perspective, obviously, I'm just one guy who kind of watches the fan base, but it seems to me that people either really don't like Gabon or they really like Gabon. I don't know a lot of people that kind of think about it just in the middle. Now, I remember when it came out, I loved it. And it was because the the sugar variable, and we'll talk about that more as we go along, that there's a very compelling story in here about every single th- important thing in the season happening will somehow relate to sugar narrative. But I know a lot of people who absolutely hate that about the season and they can't stand the winner. They don't like that. It's basically winner people winning by default. And like some people have called it a parody of survivor. That's exactly what I love about Gabon. But I'm curious what you guys have seen the fan reaction to it over the years. Well, I remember even at the time, like, um, 
people not being that into it at all or some people that were really into it. I remember I was really into it watching it, obviously, like I talked about. And then I remember some other people in the survivor pool that I was running with um, at the time. People were saying, what's wrong with this season? This season sucks. And so I can distinctly remember by the end of the season, Mario, you even did like a ranking of your, or you think you just said, I don't rank seasons, but I just do my top five. And I remember you put Gabon on your number five spot right after the season aired. I think in an attempt to like, you know, really show people there's a lot here. Don't write off Gabon. But I think it's face advice from the very you know from from the time it aired yeah let's not get crazy here with the top fives i i'm thinking maybe i might have put it in my top no, 10 I, at the end you for sure put it in your top five and then like you admit it right where afterwards okay it shouldn't have been a top five one i was kind of making a point go find it on myspace you're a liar yeah, find it on myspace go look it up yeah i'm sure there won't be like an annoying song blaring when you get to mario's myspace case that's basically all it is nowadays i mean i think I don't want to paint a broad brush on the Survivor fan base, but I do feel like a lot of the Survivor fan base is also very results-oriented. And so what I saw, we're going to probably talk about the end of Survivor Gabon much, much further down the line, but I feel like a lot of people's indicative opinions about Survivor Gabon is based on how it turned out, and not a lot of people were very happy with the Bob, Sugar, Susie win, uh, combined finals at the time. I will say that I think... Over the years, as you've said, Mario, there has really been a burgeoning community of people that love Survivor Gabon for what it is. And so, like you said, we now have these sort of two very disparate ends of a spectrum where either people say, this is a horrible season, nobody can play the game, it sucks, or saying, no, it's fun to see, you know, people kind of bumble around, it's really anybody's game, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, and I should point out, I, I've been I, in one of my survivor groups. I've been running a tournament lately where people can kind of vote on their favorite seasons, and it's one of those things I've been mentioning in, in other places around the internet. Yeah, I have this group of survivor fans. We're running a tournament. We're getting rid of our, our picking our favorite season, and you'd be surprised how many people will just flat out say, "I can't wait till Gabon's out. I hate Gabon." Like people seem to just when they hate the season, they really hate it. It's really it's one of those interesting things I've never really understood. Yeah, Gabon, I feel sort of, um, it exemplifies a lot of things, like, especially in this first few episodes, and obviously we've got a lot of this season to go, and I haven't, and as we talked about, I forgot a lot of, of Gabon, so my opinion may change as we do these podcasts, but, you know, I, I think that Mike is always onto something in the sense that fan reaction, especially over years, not just at the time, but over years, a lot of times fan reactions to seasons are very results oriented not just who the winner of the season is but what's the final two slash final three of the season and stuff like that and I, I you know fans as 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 the years have gone by and the seasons have gone by fans are more into uh strategy and numbers and things like that and it's like you know gabon is the 17th season of survivor and so you would think that everybody's got a handle on it by now but uh they really don't and and uh, gabon especially at the beginning has displays a lot of bad gameplay which I think is fun and fascinating, but a lot of people find annoying because that's not what they want out of a show. So, you know, it, it sort of, it does all of those things. It, it ticks all, a lot of people's boxes the wrong way because they want, they want to see good gameplay or masterful gameplay. And instead you have big personalities and a lot of the big personalities, unfortunately, are just sort of nasty personalities in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it, it gets really biting with with Sugar, especially with Corinne. And you've got Randy, who's just a fantastically huge character in the season. And I mean, he even says it himself. He's a crusty old man. So which which, which is which is, you know, Randy's endearing in his own way, but he's put on the villains tribe later on in season 20 for a reason. Right. Like, you know, it, that's the sort of season that Gabon is. 
And I think historical connotation is also important in this as well. And I think, Jay, you hit the nail on the head from a strategy perspective in that we just saw one of the most strategically dominant seasons up to that point, specifically watching, you know, the Black Widow Brigade, whether or not you believe that was an actual solid alliance or not. But you see Sari and Amanda and Parvati really dismantle a lot of people late in the game. And now we're sort of resetting the clock a bit, or at least going back to this older school mentality of here are some people trying to figure out what strategy is. I mean, when Sugar first goes to Exile Island, she basically is vocalizing that like, hey, I don't really know how to play this game, so I'm just going to figure it out as I go along, which I agree with you, Jay. I, that's one of my, why I always love new player seasons is because I just love watching people figure things out, whether or not they're good or bad at it. But I think from a fan perspective, I could totally understand why people say like, hey, we just saw a bunch of really interesting, good gameplay. Now we're going to watch a bunch of people kind of fumble around in the dark until they find the light switch. Yeah, and again, just I mean, even beyond that, Micronesia was just such a popular, larger-than-life season. Anything that followed it was going to suffer. And it's the same way I always argue with Vanuatu after All-Stars. Like, yeah, I don't think All-Stars was like a great product, but that was a big season. I mean, that was everyone remembers All-Stars. That was what everyone was talking about. There was like a lot of big, heavy drama at the end of that season. So naturally, the next season with a bunch of newbies is going to suffer. Vanuatu just wasn't popular at the time because it wasn't people that we wanted to see yet. So I think Gabon probably suffered from that a little. Here's a question that I, I don't know the answer to, and, and I would like to know the answer to. And and that's, we always, with newbie seasons, even now, in with Survivor <laughs> that we're on now, you know, when when the people are sequestered and brought out there, um, you know, there's, there's still people that go on the show now that really haven't seen a lot of Survivor. It happens, you know? And, you know, when they're in sequester, they're allowed to maybe watch a season or two or they show them something. My question is, with Gabon, what seasons were they shown? Oh, excellent question. Yeah, they wouldn't have been able to watch Micronesia yet. So Survivor technically hadn't started yet. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, yeah. But uh, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk a little strategy, not a lot, a little bit. Bear with me, people. But, you know, there's, I feel like there's some overcorrection that goes on slightly in Gabon that gets a lot of people weirdly in trouble. And it's just, it was something like I just kept remarking it to my wife who was like walking in and out of the room. And I was just like, what are they doing? And she's just like, I don't know. It's Survivor. I'm like, yeah, but it's Survivor 17. Like, why have they not figured this out by now? But, you know, people, as Mike says, even even in more current seasons of Survivor, people try to figure this game out. I mean, the game changes and, and twists change and, and things happen. But at, at its core, it, it's a game that you have to try to figure out as it's going. I mean, it is Earth's Last Eden. Maybe they thought they were the first people to play Survivor going along with the Bible. I mean, we do anything with GC is okay by me, is what I'm saying. GC kind of sounds like Jesus, if you think about it. But no, I, I'll think about it. I'm sure, I bet they did maybe show Micronesia because they went out um, in the summer. Like, I knew that. Mm. Um, I, I watched, uh, I, you know, me and Re- Renee Seiler hooked me up with some tapes here from the TV Guide preview uh, going into Gabon. And. It seemed to me that with some of the um, with some of what some of the why can't I talk today? What the hell's wrong with me? Um, I'm it's not bad like for a podcast, you know. It's for a podcast. You just gotta kind of, you know. Maybe you should be podcasting right. with your mom. <laughs> she makes everything better. Well, and the the TV guide special starts off with Jeff Probst really hyping up the season, saying somebody is going to get hurt by an animal or a dumb move, <laughs> and that's how they opened up the TV guide special. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> like, what are you? What is it? Have you ever taken uh, sugar or PCP? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. I love that quote. I've never heard that quote before. That's fantastic. 
That's a good one. An animal or a dumb move. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So going into the start of the season here, there's a couple of things I wanted to run out there that historic wise, a lot of people, you know, don't think Gabon is a necessarily a historic season, but we will say, I do believe to this day, it's still the oldest winner survivor has ever produced. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, the, the old people in the cast generally do not do well in a season. So it's kind of cool, just in a way, if you look at it that way. I and also again, want to put out right now, we just sort of spoiled the winner of the season. And, you know, there are some people that basically say, hey, historians, don't spoil the winner. Dude, it's Survivor Gabon. Like, it was a billion Sorry, years ago. it's Jillian's season. She won. Get over it. Rosebud was a sled. Okay. And then and then we all know that with this story, Jillian won. She then became a boxer and fought Parvati and put Parvati in a coma a la Million Dollar Baby. We all know the story. We don't need to go through it. Well, Jillian, Jillian, Jillian was not going to tell the cast how old she actually was. That's what she said in her pregame thing. And then she either was flung to death into the sun or she started a charity in Temecula. <laughs> she, also, <laughs> she also says in her pregame thing that she's African-American because she's from South Africa. She is. She's a Charlize I'm Theron. Te- <laughs> Technically speaking, yeah, but I don't I don't exactly know if she wanted to say that. Yeah, she should have worked on that after 61 years or however long since she's not telling us how old she is. Uh, she should work on how she phrases that. <laughs> it's like the horror movie. The African-American always goes first. Well, to Pascal, she's still an African thing, so it's all the same. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, so going into the season, we're going to get a very unpredictable winner. We're going to get the oldest winner. But I will say, just by looking at the cast, and I remember this at the time. This is something that always struck me about Gabon. You have a bunch of people playing under nicknames, and this is when we kind of start this era where people start doing that, I think. And yeah, we've got a little bit in Fiji. Fiji a little bit, but, I mean, Gabon takes it and runs with it. Well, yeah, it even says GC in quotes. It even says Sugar in quotes. Like they I all, mean, uh, Van, Vanuatu had Sarge and had Bubba, but I don't think they put them in the, the lower third, right. as you said. Right. Yeah. They were not fully to, They were not ready to fully commit to like that being your survivor persona. But pretty much, you know, GC sh- uh, shows up, and he just makes up that his name is going to be GC, like right then and there. Yeah. It's like Silas. I think Silas basically did that in Africa. But uh, yeah, and then Sugar, and this is going to be a, a big recurring theme throughout this podcast and throughout the season, that is Sugar actually playing Survivor, or is, or is this girl named Jessica playing a character named Sugar, and just, she, is she just trying to further her acting career by playing a, a character? It's a very interesting thing, I think, going on in this season that I don't know we've ever really seen in any other season. So that's something coming up. Okay, anything else before we, uh, we stop our 45 minutes of preamble and actually go into the episodes? No, let's be these like the African tribesmen and stop short and let everyone else continue in front of us to Jeff. Okay. All right. Episode one, Survivor Gabon, Earth, Last Eden, Exile Island, Skulls of Terror, whatever it's called. Oh, we do have to say this is the first time that Survivor's having a two-hour premiere. Well, oh, actually, this is the first? Two one, it's just, just really just two one-hour episodes put together. But that was big at the time, too, that the first time was a two-hour one. Yeah. Because, this actually messed us up. Go ahead. They, they, they really want to just hammer home that Fong is terrible in that two hours. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but I'm saying this really messes us up because, like, we're going to refer to this as five episodes when, if you're watching this on the DVD, it's actually four episodes because the first episode has two boots in it. So it, it'll get super complicated. So uh, we'll try, just try to not confuse you too much as we go along. And they also do these weird, and this happens in, like, the Heroes vs. Villains premiere as well, but that's a two-hour episode. They'll do, like, the coming up on this episode of Survivor, which they don't do in any yeah. other episode. Yeah. Yeah, how many people start watching the Survivor premiere and just turn it off midway through? Uh, I don't, I'm not interested. Like, Survivor fans are so dedicated, they would never do that. So it's so odd when I see them do that on the show. 
Wait Please. a minute. Randy heard. Randy broke his head open. Was it due to an animal or a dumb move? I need to find <laughs> out. Well, don't ask Jillian. She's worthless in the dark. So. <laughs> All right. So here we go. The start of Survivor Gabon, featuring a bunch of newbies and then one legitimate celebrity in the cast. Are we going to talk about Kenny? What a big deal he was to to a certain audience out there. Yeah, we can. All right. I see. I don't know. We we. We always get emails before we do these podcasts. People say, oh, talk about this, talk about this. We get so many emails before Gabon about people wanting to talk about Kenny and what a big celebrity he was in the video game world. So if someone knows this a little better than I do, feel free to explain it because he was apparently a major get for the show. Okay, I, I, I will because I follow esports somewhat. Nerd. Sorry. Yep, that's how it goes. Although, ironically, I don't follow the sport that Kenny plays for the most part, but I know as it goes. Gabon's weird because it's got a couple of like pseudo celebrities in certain things. And then Sugar is a weird one in, in, in and of itself because Sugar becomes sort of an actress and is on actually some pretty prominent shows after or so um, Survivor, like Gilmore Girls and Weeds and some other shows like that. So like she sort of makes a career out of all this. And then you've got Crystal, who's an actual like Olympic medalist, which, you know, I guess I guess Survivor, you know, goes to the athlete well now a lot. But, you know, at the time it wasn't, you know. This was sort of a weird get as as far as it goes. But we're talking about Ken. Ken is a professional video game player, as he says a million billion times. For those of you who follow uh, esports or or video games as sports, um, there are, I would say, three of the biggest games that are played out there. There's a bunch, like League of Legends and StarCraft II, and I'm, I'm, I know that there's all these other games that are out there. But probably the three uh, types of games that that get the biggest sort of hype and, and tournaments and and that sort of things uh probably for money are probably uh the MOBA game Dota 2 uh the first person shooter game Counter-Strike or CS:GO and the uh sort of the a game in and of itself a melee sort of game a platformer melee called Super Smash Brothers Melee uh you may have played that game a bunch of times on the N64 and then Super Smash Brothers Melee of was a GameCube and 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 so on and so forth Ken uh, it was a professional uh, Smash Brothers player, and he was, I mean, it, it is no joke, Ken was the best in the world at Smash Brothers uh, from, uh, for, for a good, like, four or five-year period in the mid-2000s. Like, his win-loss ratio was the best in the world. Um, he was the best at a couple of those light attack sort of players, like Marth and and. and and I believe Fox McCloud is sort of the one that comes afterwards. But, you know, he has moves that are named after him. And he's been on, uh, you know, he, he was sort of by himself. And then I think he joined Team Liquid, which is a, which is a big esports sort of uh, thing. But Ken was legitimately the best Super Smash Brothers player in the world for a good year period, couple year period. Yes. So there you go. So we have a legitimate celebrity. Yes, exactly. And as my wife pointed out, my wife pointed out as we were watching the episodes, also Ken has apparently never seen a female before. <laughs> Everyone's hot, according to Ken, which makes me, I, I love Ken just because like, I mean, yeah, Jay, what you just said is completely accurate. I will add on to that. I know Andrew Price sent us a very long storied history of Ken as well. So thank you for that. I believe there's a documentary about him. I don't know if it's just about him or other Smash players as well called The King of Smash. I think so. If you want to find out more about the world that Ken was involved in for some time, uh, be sure to check that out. Mario, I'm surprised that you didn't like balk at the idea of a GameCube. I thought those were two words that would never fit together in your mind. I still don't know what that is. 
It's a weird one. Smash Brothers is a weird one to follow in esports because people, you know, it, it has a huge following. Like there are certain games that are played that were sort of made for a, a spectator sort of uh, a platform. You know, like like Dota 2 and MOBAs is, is an interesting one because it's a screen. It's it's five on five. You've got this like big sort of map and fighting, and you know, there's a lot of like involvement going on. And and CS:GO. Um, you know the Counter Strike again. It, it's it's teams of five that play each other, and then they they're on a map, and then they have certain objectives, and there's like a shoot 'em up element to it, and 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 sort of like broad based strategy. But like Smash Brothers is it's like one versus one, or sometimes two versus two, and so like it's literally just two dudes that sit in front of a console, and you know the game is still you can still watch it just as, as anything else, but it's just very weird because it's not like a team element for the most part. It's just mano a mano. Which, you know, hey, sports like that happen. There's boxing and MMA and, and, and tennis and things that are like one and one. But but it, it's just a it's sort of a weirder element because, you know, there are other esports that have like a more grandiose level to them. And you would think that those would be the ones to take off. But Smash Brothers, uh, as, as an esport, was was one of the first sort of games to really rise in notoriety and popularity other than like StarCraft uh, that was going on and stuff like that. So, it was, it, which again is a one versus one for the most part sort of sport. So it was sort of the natural evolution, but at the same time, it's very weird to think about. But yes, Ken was the best in the world at it. I like how Mario also also said there was a celebrity in the cast and did not mention the Olympic gold medalist. I did. I was going to say we we apparently we had two elite athletes in the cast, one being Ken, one being Crystal. Right. I mean, I said that Sugar sort of becomes like an actress sort of thing afterwards, you know, and and rides on this uh, more successfully than other people did. Uh, but you have Crystal, who's an Olympic medalist, which was an athlete get, you know, an early athlete get for Survivor at the time. But but Kenny, probably, you know, in, in the larger in the larger uh, perspective of things, is probably not the biggest celebrity. But in his world, he was the best get. I mean, even Crystal for being an Olympic gold medalist, you can't say that Crystal, like, you know, if you were like gonna pick all of the athletes from the 2004 U.S. Olympic team, like she's not, even though she won a gold medal in the four by four relay like she's still you know wouldn't you want like other people yeah it's true although let's not i don't not to jump too far ahead with spoilers but let's not be giving her that gold medal just yet <laughs> wow she won a gold medal Jeez, all, all i remember about crystal cox i remember this was one time where i was kind of reading some stuff online i wasn't like fully on sucks and stuff but i remember there when the leaks for the cast was was going out she's one of the first people reported that she was going to be on the show and there was just that picture that was floating around everywhere of that like lady who was like holding up a like crystal trophy that looked very phallic and it looked like you know it was holding it up to her mouth and they were calling that the crystal cock cox and um that's just all i can remember it's like a golf trophy Crystal right Cox. it's like a what the yeah, hell are you reading paul fresh out of high school reading porn hardcore porn no 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 that, no i, I, I know what you're talking about over with my mom and then we we stumbled upon the wrong page oh boy or, or the right page yes oh, okay boy. so anyway yeah crystal the arguably the greatest olympic athlete on survivor who also has a porn star name and so here we go First episode of Survivor Gabon where Crystal, in a running joke that will la give us endless laughs throughout the season. First, did you mean to say? Did you did you mean to say running joke? Yes, exactly. Yes, I did. Thank you, thank you, Temp. So yes, yeah, so the one this will give us endless amusement throughout the course of the season. I believe the first confessional is, "Hi, I'm Crystal Cox. I won the gold medal, and I am here to win the hell out of this game." Is this before or after we have the Indiana Jones plane that goes from the United States to Gabon? Yes, the Amazing Race arrow. Yeah, yeah, just the red line. Hey, we're at Gabon, and then Crystal Cox is going to win the hell out of Survivor. 
So just to, just to, for those of you who know the joke, I, I want to lay it out here because it's going to be part of this podcast, clearly. But Crystal is one of the biggest failures in Survivor history. She's going to fail at just about everything she ever does throughout the course of the season. So the fact that she they open the season with her saying she's going to win the hell out of the game is really funny when you watch it in retrospect. So it's just one of the little things the editors put at the start of the season here. Get ready for some fun. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to compliment Crystal on some parts of her game, but as far as challenges go, this is going to be a fun ride. <laughs> and then and then right off the top of that, we get our second confessional from Bob, who admittedly throughout the course of this season will not get that many confessionals in addition to, you know, the other methods that he might use to win, but I mean, I feel like this strikes core to the heart of the survivor historians when he talks about how he teaches physics in the winter and he lobsters and fishes in the summer. That's right. Although we know Zoe already dug that well first. I just always like when he talks about his um, his description of his job, like he makes it seem like he's just a teacher for the winter time, and then in the summertime he does that. Like, what's what high school is he working at where he can ju- he just works in the winter time? I like that job. Do you think he's like, you know, he 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 comes in just every once in a while, like Nick Burns, the computer guy, you know, and just like <laughs> the kids are trying to figure out physics, and then he just like swoops in and then like does a problem on the board and just looks at him and goes, "You're welcome," and then leaves. In Maine, physics is just like a holiday celebration, so they just get yeah. like you know physics for around the holiday season. Well, you know they they only need physics every once in a while when they need when they need to figure out how to best punch a bear. <laughs> so he calls himself Runaround Bob, correct? That's his nickname when he's introducing himself. Yeah, and we will never hear that nickname again. But it's used right at the beginning, Runaround Bob. And I believe um, that's the only interesting thing we have about Bob for about four episodes here. So that's I mean, no, I mean, Bob, Bob, Bob is going to build literally everything that exists at the Coda camp. This is this is Bob's like. I know if we're going from an edgic perspective, you know that like the premiere episode. Paul did an entire podcast about this. Can really be indicative of the winner of the season. And Bob gets a super positive episode, despite being not really prevalent for a lot of the season. He gets a really positive episode from the the get go when he's basically building Coda's entire shelter plus accoutrement. All right, so who else do we have here as major characters? Do Marcus and Charlie show up as a, as a pair yet, or is that later? Uh, it's a little, I mean, we, we, get, we get some talking about it going on, but, right. but really, you know, we, we, get, we get the opening confessionals, and basically, as was alluded, they, they, were, they were being led through the savannah here by some, uh, by some locals, and then locals basically hang back in this great helicopter shop where they're like, uh, go over there, I guess. <laughs> and, then, and then they have to go, like, walk what seems to be a mile, over to where Probst is, and then Probst is basically like, hey, welcome to Gabon. I want you all to, to say your name and describe yourself. And, you know, they're saying things like, you know, I'm Bob, I'm a physics teacher, I'm Ace, I'm a Bond villain, and then, you know, we have 85 pharmaceutical sales reps. <laughs> yes. Very uh, very Thailand-esque of them going around and revealing um, stuff about themselves. A uh, favorite of mine watching it was definitely a Jillian, who even though we'll only talk about her for these first two hours of the show, uh, I love her introduction that she has to like, some people really take this kind of as like a resume thing, like you have to put everything on it, like you're still being interviewed for the show, so you want to like show all your things. So Jillian goes on about how, I'm Jillian, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother of four, and I'm a nurse. But but if you're in the but if you're if you're in the dark, I can't help you. Not at <laughs> right, all. Just, can't see she's very not well. a nocturnal. She's diurnal. We learned that in Africa the first time. She's a diurnal nurse. <sighs> a couple of I, I actually really like this going into the pick'em. I know that Survivor Gabon is kind of going to ruin the schoolyard pick'em for the show, and that they're really <laughs> yeah. not going to do them ever again. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 
there are a couple of other highlights. I mean, Paul, I'd love to get your thoughts, and Jay as well, of Crystal dis- deciding that her like decoy job is going to be a preschool teacher. But I know you, you said that Michelle falls below the Ashby line. I forgot how much I really dislike Michelle Chase after this first episode because so annoying. She's, she's so like she when she's not condescending, she thinks she's so freaking quirky and charming that you know when Jeff's like, "Okay, woman in the purple," she's like, "Hi, I'm Michelle, aka woman in the purple." Ha ha ha! You get it, guys? Aren't I quirky? Aren't I the hilarious comedian that you're all gonna fall in love with? Wow, we got a, the new version of Karen from Mike. Yeah, luckily he won't have to deal with her for that long, but no, I agree. I mean, She's extremely I, obnoxious. I mean, this is part of the what I was talking about, the odd sort of part of the season is that, you know, and again, I was it was part of why I was asking, you know, did they see Micronesia? Because I feel like every young woman is basically like, well, shoot, I'm going to by default do well at this game because, well, Parvati, lol. And it's like Michelle goes out there and it's like Michelle from the very start, from the opening intro of who are you and what do you do? You know, which is the Arnold Schwarzenegger way of doing things. Who is your daddy? <laughs> and what does he do? But, like, even from then, Michelle is basically like, hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm interacting with absolutely zero of you. And it's like, way to play Survivor, Michelle. Good job. We have no parting gifts for you. Just get out of here. Like, well, you know, it, it, is, it is odd right from the start that she's just basically like, yeah, I don't care about any of you. It's like, nice. To be fair, to be fair that is how poverty plays Survivor. So uh, maybe it is an homage. I mean, it sort of isn't, though. You know what I mean? Like, we've we've made fun of Parvati a lot. I get that. And, you know, we, we've all basically said that Parvati is a little inflated by, you know, standards and, and things like that. But Parvati at least made connections, made alliances. We talked about how Parvati did a bunch of, like, connecting people in Micronesia, whereas, like, Michelle's just like, nope, see you losers later. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll talk plenty of her over the course of the episode. But what confounds me about Michelle is that it's this weird sort of paradox where – She's ostracized because she's condescending, and she's condescending because she's ostracized. Like, there's no way to break that cycle. And so, like, people are going to wonder, like, how did Michelle end up being the first boot? And that's exactly the reason why. I think they were going for, like, they thought she was going to be, like, a Courtney, like, China Courtney, like, kind of snarky. And, yeah, it didn't really pan out. Yeah, we have to in for that, though. And you asked for my opinion on on Crystal's cover uh, sort of story. The thing that make, that threw me was not necessarily, okay, if you're going to say you're a teacher, fine, whatever. You know, that's all good. But what she says is she says, I'm a preschool teacher and a full-time mother. <laughs> Those can't really, well, unless she's like teach, unless she is she's like, well, like has her daughter in her preschool class. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> she just swoops in to teach classes in between nap time. I, I am a preschool teacher and a full-time mother. I'm like, man, that is a lot of hours in the day. Let me tell you what. Well, well, in the I'm winter, a... I'm a preschool teacher, and in the summer, I'm a full-time mother. Okay, I'm going to parent the hell out of this kid. <laughs> oh, man. And we also get to think that Mike alluded to when, uh, you know, Kelly has to give her resume of how she works at a high-end retail, top high-end retails in Chicago and is like really trying to sell herself like shaking her head getting into it like ooh, like everyone's gonna like ooh and awe at that and then yeah. of course we have Randy the wedding wed- uh, wedding videographer who hates marriage and hates the concept of marriages which I think is great <laughs> they, love good. The, they love it the be better. For, the, yeah. for the next like four episodes in the previously on Survivor every time Jeff refers to him he's like and Randy the wedding videographer or and Randy the wedding videographer who hates love <laughs> this is always like <laughs> loves to bring it up yeah, yeah Probe starts to get really obnoxious in the previously on segments in the season I noticed yeah. that like yeah. oh we're yeah. going to talk about that okay since we're not even to the start of the first episode yeah. 
All right, and then we, of course, Corinne, who flat out says, I'm going to be a bitch and I'm going to own it, which I think may have been the first person who just flat out says, I'm going to be the villain here. Corinne was, was, I mean, and we all kind of know what Corinne has come to be now, but like Corinne was like so on my radar going into the season because I I got very into the cast interviews before these came out. I was working as a tech intern at the time and I have this very distinct memory of me sitting in this like hot, unair conditioned room of the school. And my job, I had about like six hours I spent scraping off um, old like labels, like serial tag numbers off these old, old computers. And I had to scrape them off with this metal thing and get rid of them. And so I was watching, I brought my laptop with me and I was watching all these, all the pregame stuff for Gabon. So that's how I got really psyched up for it and she was really on my radar because she says in one thing before the show about how you know it's not it's not good just to be nice like that's not endearing like one time I was at summer camp and I hit a girl in the face with a tennis racket like that's endearing <laughs> and while everyone else is talking about how beautiful Gabon is how happy they are to be here in her pregame interview she says I'm gonna call this Gablos like you can't see any animals here this is a beach that could be anywhere in Jamaica like this place sucks like so she was very much on my radar even though we're not gonna see a lot of her for you know for quite a while in the actual game you know again a lot of people don't like Corinne they call her a tryhard or she's just trying to get airtime you know God bless her for taking a character and running with it I appreciate yeah, I, that I, I appreciate Corinne so much and yeah. I feel like you sort of have to, you know what I mean? Like, like she's, she's doing a thing. Good on you for doing the thing. Yeah. She's there to make the season, to give it a little edge. And that's what you need in a season. And then you team her up with Randy later. That's like the gatekeeper meeting the key master. That's just wonderful. But that, but that's, that's sort of the thing that comes out of the season. Like if you're looking at the people from the season that have, that have come back and, and played survivor again, you've got, you've got sugar who played again, you know, cause sugar, we're going to talk a lot about sugar and we don't really need to get into it now. But the other people that play again is are, are Corinne's going to come back and Randy's going to come back. Yep. And, and Susie, like... who should have come back, uh, has to see the Smith. Oh my God, I love Susie so much, and and something that I love about her that I'm just going to mention now because by the time we get to this point, it's going to be the end of the whole you know podcast. Two years from now, when we're done with Gabon, um, is that what I love about Susie is that her model for everything is just that she tries. That's really a highlight of her of her end game. Is you know I just tried. I don't know. I just came tried, and it was really evident going into the game. She talked so much about how she didn't know what she was doing. Like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to try. And she was talking about how uh, she has to watch herself because she might belch, fart, and swear, and that might offend people so that was something that she definitely was going to have to watch uh going into the game right we'll talk we'll talk about Susie as you said but one of the things I do love about her as well is I think she's from Iowa but she has that Fargo accent and it's so like not only just the accent itself but being deadpan as well we're going to get to the moment of her saying to Corinne like yeah you know I was probably going to vote you out uh just going to be honest here and like just she's so deadpan and monotone the entire time and makes her such an amazing character I'm cooperating here (laughs) cooperating like that's the thing about this episode is that we we got these like gabon is so weirdly top heavy as far as 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 this show goes is that there are so many great characters that that last quite a bit through this episode and some you know episode people that that were gone before their time but then they have like a lot of these below ashby line creatures but yeah Susie's great uh, you know, and she doesn't come back. And 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 I think that you know maddie's fun i don't know if maddie deserved to come back or anything like that but you've got You've got Marcus and you've got uh, Charlie, who's fun, and and you've got all these sort of uh, people who are who are super great. And and the people that have come back from the season, though, aside from Sugar, who you know, it's funny, Sugar ends up on the Heroes Tribe in Heroes versus Villains, which is 
a weird head scratcher in some ways, but it's like the other people that come back are are Corinne and Randy, who are basically like, I'm crotchety and I'm going to be the bitch of the season. It's like, right. It's yeah, all about that's, in that's, comparison. Th- this is Gabon in a nutshell. You know what I'm saying? Here we go. Strap in, folks. I have to tell one other quick Susie story, then I swear we can jump into the the beginning of the episode here. But what I loved about Susie is that her pregame, she was wearing a shirt, like a self-made shirt with a picture of her son on the front and a picture of her son on the back. But for, on the DVD, for some reason, they like don't have his permission or something to have his face on it. So every time Susie's in the on all the on the the Gabon DVD. Her, the picture of her son on her shirt is blurred out, and it's, like, very pixelated. It looks like she's wearing something really obscene, and she's, like, referencing it and pointing to him and stuff like that. And then she turns around and she goes, and this is what he looks like now! And she turns around, and it's just completely pixelated. Like, said, there's, like, this nude picture of, like, this kid on her shirt. Yeah, or, like, her shirt is just her son giving two big middle fingers to everybody. <laughs> right. Right, just totally explicit. That's on the, that's on the, the normal release DVD. It's all pixelated. Yeah, on the one that, you know, whatever the one that you buy on Amazon. That, oh, um, I've been watching it on Prime and it's not pixelated, or at least I'm not seeing those scenes. That's fantastic. I want to see it's the pre game stuff. Susan. Not the okay. one she had in the show, but. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't know that. That's all right. Important safety tip there from Paul. Very good. Thank you. So, so after. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, speaking of wardrobe, we'll talk about it, but I just want to put like a little hook out there for GC's comically oversized lime green polo that looks like the kid that morphed out of Tom Hanks at the end of the movie Big. Just putting it out there. <laughs> also, uh, looking at the wardrobe choices when, when the people were walking up, like, I know that, that, you know, this has been documented. Like, a lot of times people don't have a choice for the most part in the wardrobe that is chosen. Like, you know, survivors basically like, okay, you're going to be on the show. Pick a couple of looks, you know, and, and you know that's gonna represent you and stuff like that. It was, it's you know, it's the whole thing where like they wanted Lil to wear the the Boy Scout uniform and you know all these sorts of things, right? And you don't have like a ton of you know whatever, like you know what's your look? Oh, my look is you know survival gear. But but you know it's it's just always one of those things where like I always feel really bad for the for the dudes who like have to go in there in full suits. <laughs> yeah. Especially because like Maddie can't trust them. Yeah, well, there, there's that as well. So, you know, you get people out there in the full suits going on. Uh, but, you know, after the 85 uh, pharmaceutical sales reps have introduced themselves, um, then Jeff basically, you know, says Jeff stuff. And then which basically leads to sort of has, as you as you mentioned, Paul, with the Thailand start with the names and things that he go. Then, then Jeff's like, well, we're going to pick the two oldest people, which is Bob and, and Jillian. And they look shocked by this, which is also fun. And then yes. they get up there, and then basically Jeff's like, we're going to do a schoolyard, pick them for tribes. And, you know, you pick one person, and they can pick an next person. But it's not like you, you know, boys have to pick women, or and women have to pick men, and all that sort of stuff. You just pick who you want. Jan would have liked that way better from Thailand, because it would not have been as stressful. She would have only had to pick uh, pick one person. Maybe she wouldn't have cried. I also like when they single out Bob, and Susie yells out, looking good, Bob! <laughs> yeah, looking okay. good, Bob. Looking good, yeah. Oh, yeah, dear. That's a good Bob, yeah. <laughs> well, we've got our we've got our impersonation for this. Uh... <laughs> All right, so we're an hour thirteen into the podcast. We've finished our preamble. Now we will talk about the actual meat of the episode. <laughs> so, so they start they start picking people, right? And and you know, some people obviously get picked, and then you know they start picking some other people. And what I love is that Charlie gets really upset, right? Like Charlie's just like. What are they not picking all these people? Did I walk into stupid Survivor? And then <laughs> no, I Jillian them. picks. Jillian picks Crystal. Crystal picks Susie, and she picks her by saying, "Suze, come on down." Cut to Charlie's annoyed reaction. Says, "Okay, now we're playing stupid Survivor." 
But what All I right. loved about this was that Charlie's like, what are we now playing stupid survivor? Then Charlie picks Paloma. I just want everyone to note that. <laughs> well, no, a woman who sounds Paloma. like she inhaled a tank of helium before coming into Survivor. Okay, let's go actually go through the picks for people who haven't he watched. He picked Paloma, Mario. <laughs> Palomo, Palomo. Okay. <laughs> but he got in a tribe with Marcus, so it's always good. All right, so we start with Bob and Jillian. I'm just going through the picks here real quick, just uh, for uh, reference sake. Bob's first pick, he takes Baldy, who's Ace, the James Bond villain. We'll talk a lot about Ace here. And then Jillian's first pick is Crystal, which on paper is not a bad pick. I mean, if you're going to pick, uh, if you're going to have four females on a tribe, you want the one who's twice the size of everybody else out there. So she's not a bad pick. And then Baldy picks Sugar. Because he's a photographer, and every photographer needs a swimsuit model, which, okay, that's an odd pick, but it makes kind of, kind of makes sense. All right, whatever. And then Crystal takes Suze, as we've already talked about. So I should point out that Sugar and Susie are the third pick for both teams. This is a fantastic start to the season. And then Sugar chooses Marcus, the farmer-looking farmer guy, correct? Yes. And then Su- Susie takes Maddie, the surfer dude. Oh, yes. such a good line from Maddie when Jeff says, what do you think, Maddie? You like this tribe? Maddie goes, yeah, I got three moms. <laughs> Just well, like does, such a, but, but he, but he a does Maddie that Cali- thing to he, say. He does that California thing, and, and, and like, Mario, you know, we're like, what do you think, Maddie? And he just kind of like looks and gives a shrug, right? <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, whoa. Like, and then, <laughs> I got three Jillian, moms. That's such Jillian, a move. Jillian's like, actually, you have a wife, a mother, a grandmother of four, and a nurse. <laughs> Would you like to see this elephant dung, Matthew? <laughs> Hold on, Jillian. Give us about two minutes and we'll get there. Yeah. All right. So Marcus has been picked for the Codas. And Marcus picks Charlie. And here's another one of the great running jokes that Charlie is enamored. Anytime Marcus shows him any attention whatsoever. And so Charlie goes running over. And so Marcus and Charlie are on the same team. And then Maddie over the surfer dude says, all right, uh, Randy, I'll take Randy. And so Randy joins uh, the Falfongs. <laughs> And then Charlie <laughs> takes Paloma, as Jay has pointed out. Palomo. Stupid survivor. Palomo. <clears throat> and then Randy takes Dan, uh, analytical Dan, over on the Fongs. And then Paloma on the Coda takes Kelly. And I'll just kind of go since we're at the bottom of the barrel here. And Kelly will later take Jackie, and Jackie will take Corinne. And for the Fongs, uh, Randy will take Dan. And then Dan has uh, will pick Danny, a.k.a. GC, a.k.a. G-Sizzle, or whatever his name is. <laughs> And then Ken, and then Michelle, our bright ray of sunshine, will be the last pick. <laughs> Girl in the also, Ken, Ken refers, uh, GC refers to Ken as the big homie with all the game, which I don't think, I don't think GC knows what a video game is. <laughs> and this will be the first time we'll hear Ken talk about a female and immediately base her worth on how hot she is, where he points out that he wants Michelle on the team because she's hot. So there we go. That's, this will be a recurring theme. Again, like well, I, my wife has pointed out, has Ken ever actually seen in a girl? He's so impressed by any girl that is near him at any point. No, no, I, I mean, I don't know that, but like, you know, it's not just this time because maybe there's maybe he led with it. But some other times when he's talking about uh, a woman, he, he mentions other things and then throws in. It's almost like an addendum, like right at the end, you know, he's just like, yeah. well, blah, 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 blah. And she's hot. Yeah, exactly. It's a period, the period at the end of the sentence. I would like some fries with that. <laughs> yes. All right, so we have basically a, a very good and strong tribe, the Coda, Bob's tribe, and a very weak and pathetic tribe, as Jeff will remind us about many times. I was uh, I was digging up some pregame stuff to prepare for this podcast, and I was reading the reality blurred coverage of Gabon leading up into it, because I know Andy had been on location for, um, for Gabon, and he had mentioned in his write-up that he was there for the picking of the tribes, and he wrote both the names down, and he goes, and next to one of them I wrote, Loser Tribe. From that moment, he knew exactly which tribe was going to lose. 
I don't know how that could be true because Crystal's going to win the hell out of this game. That's true. And she's about to win the hell out of a hill climb. So, yes. so, so, yeah, so, so, so basically the, the tribes are set, and then Jeff says, well, here's the deal. You have to run another couple miles through the savanna, and that's the challenge. Which, which is just fantastic, right? I mean, it's basically like that Guatemala like 11-mile hike into whatever. He's just basically like, you need to run through these posts, which is like you know a long stretch. And then the end of it is basically just crawling up a gigantic hill on the savanna. <laughs> and, and you get to the top, and, and there's an individual immunity idol for the two people on each tribe that get there first. But then it's not for an immunity. It's a reward challenge. So basically the one tribe that gets everybody up the hill... Uh, first gets an extra bag of beans and corn. So you're getting a bunch of food at the beginning. And then Jeff sort of stresses like, will you, you know, selfishly go for the thing yourself or will you help people? And we'll get to that in a minute. But then, so basically this is a running challenge. This is, this is Crystal's thing, right? Exactly. Made, tailor made for Crystal. And yeah, a great she picture. really shouldn't yeah. have worn those 10 pound, uh, those 10 pound sneakers. <laughs> What is she a fucking deep sea diver? What is she wearing? I'm pretty sure Crystal had her toes stuck in bowling balls on both of her feet, and that's what she was talking about. They never showed it, but that's what I'm assuming. I know. That's like those giant boots they wear in deep sea diving that have to weight you down. Is that what she has on? All right. So anyway, yeah, this is a tailor-made for Crystal, the running challenge. So off they go. And surprisingly, Crystal does not do well in this challenge. In fact, Jillian crosses the finish line before Crystal. Yeah. Well, I have a great, it's a picture that I love on the Funny 115, one of my favorites. It's a little display of everyone running. And yeah, there's Crystal way in the back and right, right in front of her is Bob, the old guy. And like G-Sizzle is like light years ahead of her. And so she, the Olympic sprinter is being dusted by a guy named G-Sizzle, I should point out. Also, I want to point out, good on Ken. I believe Ken is like, I think for a while, like pretty out in the lead. Uh, which is, again, surprising considering that Ken is going to be marketed as the nerdy gamer the entire time on Survivor. So he does have flashes where he's able to be really, really good in challenges, and this is one of them. One other thing that I really love about this quote-unquote challenge is Jeff running alongside them. You know, he goes, Survivor's ready, go! And then he starts running, and he's like like running... (laughs) It's like he forgets, right? Like, he's just like, Survivor's ready, go! Oh, shit, I gotta get there! (laughs) Can they give him a little dune buggy or something? <laughs> you know, where was the helicopter? You don't make the host run. So anyway, yeah, so they get to, they go, they race. It's fairly even, at least till they get to the hill. And then we run into the problem that Jillian can't climb a hill and Crystal can't climb a hill. And who else can't climb a hill? Is it Ken? I forget. But basically, yeah, GC and, and Michelle are the only two Fongs that make it up the hill. And basically the entire Coda tribe makes it up. And it's really not close at all. The Coda tribe just destroys them. And it's really embarrassing watching Jillian and Crystal et al. try to climb this hill. And this will be very uh, indicative of what we're going to see the next couple episodes. It's, it's Jillian and it's, it's, uh, it's Crystal and it's Susie, I believe, that also has trouble getting up the hill. Susie kind of sli- slides by there. Like, nobody's been pointing the finger at Susie thanks to Jillian and Crystal. Listen, mom, mom's got to stick together, even if it means that the same portion of the challenge. <laughs> but, Jillian, but, a.k.a. the slow-moving human being. Now, now here's here's an instance where, like, I, you know, I, I can follow the thought process here. This is not a what are they doing, but again, it's the, okay, here's Michelle. She hasn't come off super well. She got picked last, which which sucks, right? It sucks to get picked last, and I and I and I feel bad for her on that front. And she was the first female to climb that hill on on both tribes because it's 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 Marcus that gets the uh, the the coda idol, right? 
Yes, Marcus and GC. Yeah. Marcus and then the GC gets the uh, boy, yeah. Yep. Marcus gets the Coda one and GC gets the Funk Tribe, but but not shortly after Marcus and GC get to the top, it's Michelle that's third sort of that gets up to the top. And and but but the thing is is that, you know, as Jeff sort of points out, it's very weird because like Dan goes back very early to like help people as they're running, but it's like where Jeff's alluding to the do you go for the individual thing yourself or do you help people out is sort of the hill, right? Cuz you can help people traverse the hill to get up to the top right and it's like clearly dan and, and maddie and some people are trying to help their fellow fong members get to the top and it's like michelle gets to the top and it's like look i can get the fact that she's not super into her tribe because she was picked last and stuff like that but it's like she gets picked to the top and then she immediately like throws this tantrum like well you picked me last and i'm up here and it's like go help right like go do something but she's just standing there just bitching right about well you know, I, I i believe she says so they can kiss my ass Right. So that's a quote from the girl in the purple. Right. So they can kiss my ass. So it's like right off the bat. And and I get it. You're not feeling well. And and, and in the sense that, you know, you got picked last. I get it. Right. Like, I understand this move. But on the other hand, this is this is just an ongoing set of problems with Michelle, where it's like instead of trying to help other people out within this game, it's just a matter of, well, I'm here. Typical, you know, and and that's how it's going to be. But anyway, you're, gonna, they, you're not going to get much debate that Michelle is not a good player. No, yeah, I get it. And and anyway, the the three Fong members that we said couldn't get up the hill. Coda wins. It's not super close, and uh, they get the extra corn and the extra bag of of beans, and off they go to their camps. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I had completely forgotten about this. That in Gabon, they basically get there, and it's a lot like after the Survivor Africa, where. They get these huts that are all partially made. They just have to basically just finish making them. Although significantly different from Africa that there are not lions outside waiting to eat them at all moments. So it's a little little more chill. But it, it is kind of cool. They get these look like somewhat authentic uh, huts that are just sitting there. Just finish them up and we can live in them. And unlike Africa, they also have access to a water source. They're, I think they're both near a lake, too. So they'll be able to, you know, go swimming. And unlike Guatemala, there are no crocodiles in it or minnows to eat out of open wounds. So it seems like they're doing pretty well for themselves. Yep. And then, of course, Coda does especially well because they have runaround Bob, who, as you guys pointed out, just starts building everything. He's basically Bob the Builder at this point. Here he goes. It's uh, Fix-It Felix. He's going to go fix every, sing- every single thing they have. Yeah, yeah, this is really the pump-up Bob scene that they have to put in there so we know that he's good. I called this when I did my analysis of the first um, of the premieres of all the seasons is that this is what they'll do to a winner in the first episode that I called asset-based first episode edit where they they show us about what he's really good at and that we'll learn later on that he may not be the best at the social game may not be the best at the strategic game but bob knows how to fend for himself out in the wild and he knows how to you know how to fix everything because that's what they do in maine he calls himself a forever boy scout there's going to be a concept that comes up especially in gabon and it's 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 the concept of a tribe leader which which we've talked about and we've debated several times. I mean, I, I always feel like once you start talking about our tribe needs a leader, you're already kind of screwed. But like when you get to this first part of Survivor, which is something that they gloss over in more modern episodes. Yes, Jay just bagged on modern episodes. Get over it. But like, you know, this 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 shelter building and sort of figuring where out where tree mail is and your water source and stuff. This is not just uh, a time where you're figuring out how to live on wherever you're living, it, it, it's it's sort of a social sort of task, right? And what what you have here in, with the Fong and the Kota tribes, especially at the beginning, if you look, is it, the fact that, you know, there is no leader really in each tribe and, and, and certain leaderships and alliances and stuff are going to emerge. But for the most part, the two people that started, the two team captains of the sco- schoolyard pick 
for the tribes at the very beginning of the game were Bob and Jillian. And I think that this is a very interesting look into the both of them, where Bob, for Coda, I mean, not only did he have a better tribe, and I get that sort of fact, but Bob, like, assumes leadership in the sense that he's out in front building things, but he's not necessarily bossing everyone around, doing lots of unnecessary things. He's just going and doing it and asking for help, and they're doing it, and then he, you know, they're letting him go, and it's sort of this nice, relaxed sort of thing. He's this unassuming leader is in this early sort of building the huts. And then they go to Fong, and there's Jillian. And Jillian's just, like, saying, like, all right, guys, we're going to do this thing. All right, we need to build a shelter. Go build the shelter. Does anyone see elephant dung? Build the shelter. Get water. Does anyone see elephant dung? And it's like Jillian's not do like she's gathering things. I get that you know you're gathering, but it's like she's not building. She's not like taking the lead in anything. She's just sort of barking around at things and then talking about elephant dung. And it's like she's an assuming leader, which isn't always the best. It's like she doesn't even get the tribe to like shout Fong together. She has to come up with her own thing. Okay, bukale is an African word meaning fierce. Let's say it together. Bukale. Bukale. Just Hey, uh-huh. you are messing me up. <laughs> uh yeah, it's it's so it's so interesting because also Jillian sort of co-ops this attitude that I feel like a lot of Fong is gonna have where after every time they lose something and they're gonna lose a lot, they're all gonna come back again and be like well, that wasn't so bad. Like They're just going to completely blow off the results. And Jillian comes back. She goes, well, apparently, according to some people, we suck today. But I don't think so. And that's where Bukali comes from. And it's, I think it's the only thing that keeps the Fongs sane for a certain amount of time. Is this idea of, like, we can't suck that bad. They're not telling the truth, are they? <laughs> but we said Bukali. Yeah. You know, Jillian has that, has that thing where, like, you know, She's very capable, and, and probably in the circles that she runs, she, she's very capable and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, she gets out here on Survivor, and it's like, you know, she had trouble getting up the hill, and she admits that she had trouble getting up the hill, right? But it's like, you don't want to admit that you're a weak link of the tribe, you know, physically or blah, blah, blah. And it's, so it's like, you're just like, well, you know what? We It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. We didn't lose by that much. And if we did, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, yeah. it's like, but it kind of was. And Randy, Randy, of course, always cutting through the BS is right there to tell us, you know, Jillian doesn't do anything. She just says stuff. And so right off the bat, Randy's already pointed out, yeah, she's not effective a leader. This is going to be a disaster. Although there is one one scene here I wanted to point out, someone that I wrote about on the Funny 115 that always makes me laugh. It's just kind of a little background character moment where Jillian is <laughs> – she finds this elephant dung. She's on this never-ending quest for elephant dung to because she heard it burns well. So she comes back, and she's like, you guys want to see the elephant dung? It's very interesting. And then Dan says, you want to see my dung? It's interesting, too. Which yeah, it, I just, it, it, just love how he deadpans that. It's someone I think is mad or someone's just like, you want to see elephant dung? Not really. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he like gave like a little shrug like, uh. and I think we should also take this time. We'll bring this up. I know we don't like to date this podcast too much, but let's bring up the elephant in the room. And I'm not referring to the one that's going to be outside Fong's camp in a little bit. But at the time we are recording this, uh, Dan K has passed away uh, some months ago mm-hmm. suddenly. Yep. So I, I, that being said, from what I remember coming into this rewatch, I I didn't really remember too, too much of Dan outside of the Sandy Crater stuff that I'm sure we're going to talk about. But Dan is surprisingly personality filled that I completely forgot about. And granted, maybe I'm sort of looking on this with a different sense of reverence considering what has happened to him. Mm-hmm. But I, I was surprised at like this moment, we're going to talk about like him annoying people at the new coda by being so like aggressively motivational, but Dan's a bigger character than I initially thought. Yeah. He and Maddie are actually fairly big characters and you kind of forget that if you haven't watched the season recently. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and you, you'd expect that out of Dan being an astronaut and all. Not that, Dan. <laughs> what? Oh. You know where we're building this hut? 500 miles up? That's me in a spaceship. You know, you know what I love is that you took somebody from the Fong tribe and you compared them to the Lamina tribe. See? There's a method now, to my Coda is way more the Lamina this season. But... <laughs> that, that is true. That yeah. is true. Fong is way kind of like a even odder kind of Kasaya combination. They're the, they're the Kasaya that loses. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Bruce, want to see my dung? No. <laughs> She also would you just grossed out when Jillian's talking about like holding up the dung and squeezing out the water to drink or whatever she was saying. It was like really disgusting. No, she, wasn't she saying that she's like, oh, like there there are things here that we can eat if we get hungry. And it was like, no, I'm not eating <laughs> acorns and shit. She's like that you could find seeds in here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's the you know you learn something right, so then you have to dis- demonstrate that knowledge. So like clearly she was knowledgeable about elephant dung, which. Everything she said is is not. I'm not even gonna say probably. It's most certainly true, right? Like it probably burns well, and, and and you probably can find things that you can eat in there, and you could probably squeeze it for water. Like I get that there is probably a ton of survival elements in elephant dung, but it's like it's survivor. You probably this is not bare grills. You can probably you know get by with what's going on there. You know, I'm just saying. Wait to see what the reward challenge is, and then <laughs> then you can maybe talk elephant dung. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like let's let's give it a few days. Well, you know what burns better than elephant dung is a young love between two Fong castaways. <laughs> yes. And here we go to the nerd and the hot girl alliance, which is Kenny and Michelle. Because if there's anything you want, it's the two weakest people on a tribe to team up. That's a fantastic alliance. That is not what Jeff Probe says about Michelle in the next previously on Survivor. She is one of their strongest players, Mario, so you take that back. <laughs> well, physically she was, which was the whole... Like and that and that's Fong's problem is that they've got people some people that are physically strong but they are just like absolutely <clears throat> abhorrent to play with and it's funny because like you know even at the beginning like Kenny Ken's going to do a lot of growing I feel on this show and and he's going to adapt well which <laughs> you know knowing things as well but here at the beginning Kenny is trying to get uh, in alliance with Michelle and I mean he's just literally like well, we need to play this game. Maybe I trust you, blah, blah, blah. And Michelle's just like, I hate everybody, by the way. <laughs> I can guarantee guarantee you when, when uh, Kenny's around Michelle, he's growing. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I mean, well played. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, he's just basically trying to forge this alliance with Michelle. And she's just like, yeah, I don't like anyone. And he's yeah, like, that's a yeah. cute little scene. Michelle and Ken, they go out in a termite mound and Ken dares her to eat it. And Michelle eats it. So there you go. You get a little character moment between these two. But and it will be start- about, about the last scene of Michelle that's anything positive. <laughs> that's true. But this starts, and, and this is sort of the thing in the episodes, and that's why I wondered if they watched Micronesia, but I feel like it's this over-course correction where there's a bunch of people in Gabon, especially in these early episodes, that are going to find one other person to pair with, and they're going to be extremely happy about finding one other person to be in an alliance with, which, hey, having someone to trust with and having like a, a, a you know, an amber to your rob or a rob to your amber. I get that whole, you know, sort of thing. And I feel like, you know, with Micronesia, like figuring out that, you know, Parvati and uh, Amanda and Sari like found that core three within their alliance. I'm, I'm understanding that. So like the fact that, you know, Kenny and Michelle are like, all right, we're, we're tight. Right. And like Charlie is going to bond to Marcus. Right. And, and there's that thing. Literally. And then Kelly and, and Paloma are going to bond, but it's like, they're all very just satisfied and or content with just, some of these people with the two, with the alliance of two. 
And I'm sitting there going like, man, there's like a bajillion people on your tribe. Why are you stopping it too? But they just are like, I got, I got my one person I trust. I'm good. Okay, so we've gone through all the major characters on Fong, and then we go over to Coda. Coda, you know, the workhorses getting stuff done. They're just great. And now we get to talk about Ace. Ace will get a lot of airtime here at the start. And Ace, it's it's one of those things. If you haven't watched Gabon in a while. You don't remember, he's one of the major characters for like five episodes. He's a big deal in this season. And I think it's, it's yeah, it's very indicative that he was on the short list to be on the villains tribe for Heroes versus Villains, despite coming in what, like 14th place or <laughs> uh, something like, like 12th place on Survivor Gabon? I think that's definitely saying something. And we get it here where Ace is not only is like, I mean, Ace, as you said, Mario sort of has the Bond villain accent. I think it's still indeterminate as to where he grew up. I know he said that he like, what do you say? He was like, uh, he he grew up just flying around the world and staying in Concord. So he has that like weird to place, sort of like mid-Atlantic Fraser-like accent where you can tell you're posh, but you don't know if you're British or not. But he he knows a lot about the Roman Legion, specifically their toilet habits. <laughs> Let does. me tell you something about the Roman latrines, Mr. Bond. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Ace is great. I, I didn't know he was on the short list for Heroes versus Villains, because I was just going to say when I was watching these episodes, like, man, Ace should have come back. Ace has, he's a good character. He's a good player. Like, he brings a lot to the episodes. He gives good sound bites. Like, he, yeah, he kind of, he gets screwed later in the season by some twists, and it just for him. But, like, I could totally see a season where he would dominate the airtime. Yeah, he has tons of good sound bites. So as much as I kind of like don't care for Ace, never really did, like he really brings a lot to the show and his confessionals are great. But what you were supposed to take away from this scene, which you, you don't you don't know this until the next episode, because then Jeff spells it out for you that what you should have taken away from the scene was that that um Coda's smallest member was making waves. So this uh, is where you're supposed to be paying attention that Paloma is not getting along with people, but that's we're not told that till the next episode. So just so yep. you know. Yeah, just for people who haven't watched the episode, Ace is going on and on about how great he is, how he knows everything. He's kind of running the – he's really running the show kind of at Coda, him and Bob. And then Paloma gives these confessionals where, you know, Ace annoys me. It's, he's gonna, we're going to get sick of him real fast. So, yeah, that's, that's the, the, uh, the conflict they're building up. Again, if you haven't seen this in a while, while, and I hadn't. So I forgot all about this, that there's this Ace versus Paloma confrontation. Dare, yeah, it's, it's the major confrontation here. Dare I say it, I feel like Ace was not for this era of Survivor. Um, hmm. I feel I feel like Ace should have come a little later, and, <laughs> which is and odd we, because Coach is the very next season. <laughs> right, that's the thing is that Ace needed Coach, and and he he falls into that you know that weird Survivor China ish sort of thing. It was like where you know a lot of people from China and even Guatemala and stuff don't come back when maybe they should have because Survivor wasn't doing all those sorts sorts of things. And in in the fact that he was on the short list for villains and and didn't make it, in a weird way is a shame because it's like Ace has this thing where like I think that he's hard to deal with because he's so like bombastic about himself and the things he's doing and the Bond villain accent. And so I think a lot of people out there were just kind of like, get a load of this guy. Yeah. And, well, and that was, a, that was, you know, and, and yeah, we've had personalities and, you know, crazy people and blah, blah, blah going through survivor, but he's a get a load of this guy. And that, yeah. that's not, that's not like a huge sort of archetype that's going to happen. And then we're going to get coach coming up. Who's like the, the epitome of get a load of this guy. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he sort of normatizes or normalizes that sort of thing. And and so like Ace is sort of like a pre-coach in a way. And so, but, but you know, when, when they're bringing people back in the future, it's like, well, we could bring Ace back or we could just bring coach. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I never really thought about that. But yeah, I mean, if you think when Survivor first started, it was everyday Americans stranded on an island. And Ace is not your typical everyday American, if he even is American. Who even knows what he is? But yeah, it is funny that you throw in Coach the next episode, who does everything that Ace did and better. And then people just forget about Ace until you watch Gabon again and you realize what a big character he could have been or even was. I'd even argue he was a big character. Is that like an Illuminati tattoo on his shoulder? I think oh it is. Oh, my God. This thing, this just got so much deeper. I mean, it's like a pyramid within a circle, right? Like, am I, am I, am I like totally? I think it was a tie-in with the Da Vinci Code movie somehow. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to win Nicolas Cage. He's going to come search your camp for hidden symbols that find Nazi gold. I've got to steal the Constitution. No, you will not, Mr. Cage. He'll either find Nazi gold or he'll be voted out. I think it's in the elephant dung. <laughs> yes, yes, and, yes, squeeze it. This undigested Nazi gold. <laughs> Me and my pinup model will stop you, Mr. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I'm going to squeeze the hell out of that dung. I'm Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what we say about Gabon. There's just so many wackadoo <laughs> characters that it makes it so much fun to talk about. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we talked about Ace because it's one of those things I didn't even realize what Jay just said. That's the, the get a load of that guy. He was just one season too early. And again, what could have been had he just come a little different point in the Survivor timeline? That's interesting. Hmm. I have to think about that. Well, now Our, we get like another like another nouveau type of thing. I know Jay was just talking about the first get a load of this guy. This might be the first or at least the most prevalent unrequited romance in Survivor history <laughs> in Charlie and Marcus. <laughs> Charlie and Marcus. You know. Charlie and Marcus, it's 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 hilarious when you watch for it because Charlie, I think, literally has no confessionals throughout the season that don't reference Marcus in some way. <laughs> I'd be so upset if I was Charlie. So I know the story behind Charlie was that he was a big fan of the show. I don't think he actually applied. I think Eliza worked with him, and Eliza kind of pushed him onto casting to get him on the show. I'd be Eliza. so mad if I was Charlie, and that like that was seriously the whole. Like, that was all I got out of the season, if you watched Gabon, was that Charlie just had this huge crush on Marcus, and that's all that was going on the entire season. Yeah. And you know Charlie was a major character. He's in with every power alliance for most of the game until he, you know, his boot episode. But it's like, yeah, there's he has literally no storyline other than I'm obsessed with Marcus. And it's like there's just little stuff in the background, even in the scenes where they're doing jokes about Charlie and Marcus. And I have to say, personally, this is one of those things that I wanted to write about on The Funny 115 – I'm like, man, that is a horrible edit they gave this Charlie guy. And I, I actually started to do it, and I'm like, nah, because I'm think i going to get some flack for this because it's going to come off like kind of homophobic, like I'm making fun of the gay guy being attracted to the straight guy. And so I never did write that entry, even though it should have been an entry. And what happened was after I, I didn't write it, I got so many emails from people, especially like my gay readers. I have a ton of gay readers, and they're all like, why didn't you do that? That was our favorite storyline of Gabon, Charlie being obsessed with Marcus. So I got all these people that were mad that I didn't make jokes about it. But yeah, it's a huge storyline through the season if you watch for it. And there's I don't literally nothing Charlie does that doesn't involve Marcus in yeah. some way. And, and you're totally right, Paul. Like. He's he knows more than he's he's going. But I I mentioned that whole thing about like people pairing off, right? And it's like once once uh, Charlie and 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 Marcus sort of make their little alliance, right? In in subsequent hours and episodes in the seasons goes, Marcus is going to talk about his onion strategy, right? Where you know right. Charlie is in the middle of the onion, and then he's going to layer out, right? And it, it's it's all about Marcus creating like the larger alliance, right? But everything with Charlie is just I have Marcus, everything's fine, and it's basically like. You know Charlie knows Survivor. Like, there's a bunch of people that you can tell, well, they've never seen an episode of Survivor in their lives unless forced to. But it's like you can tell that Charlie is smart and he knows Survivor. 
and he probably knew more about what was going on and, and doing things, but that we didn't see it. All we saw was Marcus. Marcus. Well, to be fair to the editors, when he provides the soundbite of he had he felt like he had a special bond with Marcus since Marcus picked him in his deep blue, beautiful eyes. Like, how can you not use that clip? And and also the I don't understand how women are not, you know, falling all over Marcus. It's like, dude, there's like sixteen of you in the middle of nowhere. Like yeah, listen, what, what I'm just saying is that, like, yes, I do think that maybe it was a little bit of, like, a two-dimensional edit from Charlie, but they weren't exactly stretching to find content here. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of examples. Well, and what you alluded to, Jada, which I think I really like about what I really enjoyed about how Gabon handles some of the strategy in it, and I don't know if it's because we were able to do it because Coda doesn't go to tribal council for a while or or what it is, but it was it was like fun to watch this like natural evolution of how a strategy works. I mean, so often survivors, especially in the the newer era where it starts off like, okay, the five of us are together. This person, this person, this person, this person, we're together. And you know, this is how it is. It was very, it's very fun to watch Gabon and see that Marcus and, and Charlie are together and see the progression of how this forms. And that's one thing I took away from these first five episodes is really understanding the relationships between people that also guided the strategy that came after with it. So that's one one element of Gabon that I'm really enjoying early on. You realize we're still not even through the first day of this season? <laughs> There's a lot going on here. I'm, admittedly, again, these first two episodes have a lot of stuff in them. I feel like the subsequent few episodes have significantly less, but they're really, as Paul is sort of saying, setting up these major storylines. We're about to get into a nice other storyline uh, where, again, this is something that I didn't really remember from the offset, that Randy almost got medevac the first night of the game. Yeah. Yeah, for people who don't remember, uh, there's uh, some disturbance outside the camp of Fong the first night. There's an elephant, I think, or something, some noise. Maddie wants to go check it out. And at one point, Randy stands up in the middle of the night to exit or go out of the shelter. And when he's coming back, he bashes his head on the top of the shelter. And it's a really nasty-looking, I mean, head wound. He's got head wound, massive head wound Harry going on where he's got blood gushing down. And Jillian, of course, is clocked out because she, she only works during the day. She can't really do nurse stuff at night. So they have to call. They actually literally do have to call in the the uh, the medical team to come in to check if Randy can poop and all. So they come in. Yeah. So yeah, he Randy gets a, some stitches, a huge bandage on his head, and it's kind of a story on the first episode on the first night. Will Randy get medevac? So. Oh, but thank God, thank God that even though he got hurt, thank God we have on the tribe we have a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and a nurse. Thank God Jillian can swoop in and save the day, right? Yeah. Well, you smear some dung on it, mate. <laughs> I just love how, like, I get it that it's probably pitch black and she really can't do anything because she can't see, but -hmm. it comes across so much as a, sorry, Nick, can't see a thing, and she still, like, just, like, laughs off the whole thing. Yeah, I'm sorry, you don't have insurance. (laughs) I also love that, as a result, Randy gets his head wrapped for preventative measures, but it kind of looks like he came from a mental ward, and he has, like, some (laughs) sort of weird hat on, and he's going to have this on for a significant portion of time, obviously, I think, to keep keep the wound nice and dressed, but now Randy has a giant white bandage across his head that now he has to wear the buff, like, you know, like a sock across the top of his head so it gets covered up. Well, it's also a good reminder of, of the little, the condescending lesson that Jillian instills here. She says, be careful. That's what she tells the confessional kind of a response to the whole Randy thing that he just should have been careful. This is the, the Jillian equivalent of Butch with his believe in yourself banner. She needs a banner that just says, be careful. Or Bukali. <laughs> be careful, Bukali. Should we squeeze Randy's head? <laughs> 
All right, so we're going to day two. Day two, Fong is already struggling. We had Randy bandaged and, and uh, wrapped up like a mummy in the middle of the night. The next morning, they're eating grasshoppers and crickets. Randy's got his big-ass bandage on. Michelle is miserable. She's freezing. She tells us, I don't want to be here. I'm on the loser tribe, and I'm too skinny. I'm sleeping bone on wood, which seems like he maybe could have gained some weight before he went out there. That's kind of your fault on that one. She, she's just a ball of fun. <laughs> Which, which yeah. again, it's which again, it's like you're going on Survivor, and then you're like, I didn't sleep well. We had a very primitive makeshift shelter. It's like, uh huh. <laughs> yes, Michelle clearly prepared. All right, so we're getting ready for the first challenge. You know, Fong is already a hot mess. Coda, of course, is being led to victory because they have Ace out there leading him, uh, doing yoga in his underwear, which we all know is the thing that always brings a tribe together: the underwear yoga. And, who do we have? We have a couple shots of other people, Paloma, laughing at him and stuff. And I think this is all we have up until the first immunity challenge. So I'm proud to say an hour 46 into our podcast, we got to the first immunity challenge in Survivor Gabon. Would you like to pose in the sun salutation with me, Mr. Bond? This is less an immunity challenge and more a time trial for Coda to see just how long it takes him to finish the challenge because <laughs> Fong is just not going to complete it. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to stretch. Yeah. <laughs> okay sorry yeah so yeah it's a time trial we have both uh both tribes are belted together all running as one which is not going to go well when you have crystal and uh Susie and uh jillian on the same tribe so anyway yeah so the the tribes run together they have to go through a bunch of obstacles then they have to solve a puzzle at the end the winner wins immunity and they win flint and of course this is not going to be close no. Before we get into talking about the conclusion of the challenge, one thing that I wrote down here that I wanted to make sure to note, which is one thing I always remembered about Gabon, is that we see a lot of shifts here. As Gabon moves into HD, we see some different things that they start doing editing-wise. One of the things which we haven't, we'll talk about when we get into the next episode, how Jeff gets way too editorial in his previously on Survivor narration. What also happens is, I think, right, unless there may be a few like special circumstances, what what Survivor starts doing, what the editors start doing in Gabon, is they start playing with where they put confessionals. So we have we actually break from the challenge to have you know Randy talk about Jillian or, or just talk about the challenge in general. And I think sometimes in Gabon it'll get a little bit too out of hand, like they feel like they have to put like an you know insert uh, an interview you know right when the right when the the team loses before it goes to commercial break. And I think over time they learn a way that sometimes we can use it, sometimes we can't. But I think it's actually a really powerful way to have you know contestants comment on something that's happening in the moment where before the structure really is you don't get a confessional until you get back to camp so sometimes that's hard to comment in the moment of something that's happening so just pay attention to that shift as we move through gabon yeah i mean they were trying something which i get you know in the sense that that's how it goes and i I feel like survivor always wrestles with this problem in in the sense that I, i feel like they always try to stay very present in their episodes you know they they try to you know we're having the immunity challenge, so we're experiencing it now. And it's like you have a, a confession in the middle or near the end of it or something like that, you know, from from Randy commenting on what's going on. Then it's kind of one of those things where, like, it happened and we're talking about it, you know, as it happened, you know, it, which which I think Survivor ultimately was like, no, we're going to stay in the moment and try to make things very tense and things like that. Um, you know, but I, I always feel like, you know, they tried something with the editing and I'm always for that. Cause you know, when other shows like the genius, it works when you do that sort of time travel or, you know, let's talk about something in the past yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I was thinking of the genius as well. It's kind of like that in this episode. Mm-hmm. So quick summary of the challenge. I mean, I think we can basically copy and paste 
Coda wins and I repeated about like 10 times during the course of this pre-merge. But basically what happens is the first part is them going over like a swamp and a net wall. And they remain fairly even because I know you alluded to this, Mario, but they did put two out of the three of the mom squad on the puzzle section so they don't need to run the course. But then they need to dig up three bags of puzzle pieces. And essentially this is where Fong completely falls apart. Uh, according to Michelle, some of them just give up. Coda is able to unearth the puzzle pieces, make their way to the table and solve the puzzle before Fong basically digs up all three of their bags, so it's not even close. Yeah, it was it was bad because like you know Coda digs up a bag and and they I think they dug up two bags and then at some point you hear Fong like like Dan or somebody is like oh I found a bag right and then it takes them like twenty minutes to dig up the bag that they had just found. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Fong. Yes. Although there's a great little background joke if people like little visual background jokes. There's one one of my favorites in this episode where. When Coda wins the challenge, Jeff, you know, Jeff Probst holds up his hands and says, Coda wins immunity and reward. And Sugar thinks that he wants to do a high five. So yep. she jumps up and gives him a high ten as he's holding his hands up. And then she, she just runs over and celebrates with her tribe. It's just Sugar just not really understanding Jeff's little actions. It's just a funny little visual joke. I also love, uh, I, I made a reference to Sarge before with Rory in Survivor Vanuatu, but Jeff sort of has his own little Sarge moment here where Jillian keeps yelling, Come on, Fong! Yes, Fong! And Jeff says, Jillian... Put it in deep freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, nothing's gone until it's gone. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what is dead may never die. <laughs> All right, Winter so... is coming, Jeff. <laughs> and you better have enough elephant dung to burn long through the night. Yeah, I mean, right. it's tough because, you know, it was you do the thing, dig up the, the things and solve the puzzle. And it's like, Coda is literally just, they've, they've solved the first two sections of the puzzle not you know in in pretty decent time they're working on their third and they're almost done and like they haven't dug up all their bags yet on fong and just like it's it's over like they could literally sit down and take a nap and they'll still win and you know jillian's like yeah you never know nothing's getting here like yeah. <laughs> all right so we go back to fong fong's first miserable failure and they're gonna have to vote somebody out and this is where the tribe starts saying, you know, Michelle is kind of worthless and she's negative and she doesn't want to be here and she's mean and she doesn't talk to people. And there's no reason we want to keep her. And they're all like, yeah, you're right. And really, this is going to be the rest of the episode right here. Although Randy points out, you know, Jillian sucks equally. So let's not gloss over the fact we could vote Jillian out, too. Fong displays and, and, and what what's what's tough is that I totally get why they want to vote Michelle out. Like she clearly... You know, and, and here's another thing that I want to point out as well. You know, we it's the pregame, and, it, and it's not not like I have a story or I know things or, or anything like that. But it's always interesting, especially when a season starts with a schoolyard pick'em. You guys know that you know when these when these contestants are taken to the site or wherever they're going, they're they're usually sequestered or something in Ponderosa, and then they're they're taken places, and it's like they're not allowed to talk before the show officially starts, right? And and for the most part, they 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 adhere to these rules but it's like when they're traveling in groups and stuff like that even though they're not talking they're looking at each other and you know you always hear these stories of contestants that are being interviewed by rob or or, or other people uh these days where they're like yeah I, I saw this one person and we locked eyes and you know i knew that if you know we got on the same tribe when the game started that we could you know maybe work together or something like that so you get this sort of feeling that before the game starts people have sort of sized each other up a little bit and they get out there and and I mentioned that because Michelle was last picked, which to me sort of says that even before the game started, Michelle was turning people off 
towards her personality uh, as a win. And then she gets on the tribe and she did nothing to to sort of further her stance. And so I totally get the fact that like she's completely on the outs and they're like, we need to get rid of her. But Fong is always going to be in this conundrum where it's like, do you vote the person out who totally deserves to get voted out because she's not he or she is not working with anyone else in the tribe? Or do you keep them because they actually might give you a decent shot in challenges? And as always, they will choose incorrectly. Yes. <laughs> you chose poorly. <laughs> so yeah, so Michelle and Ken bond here before the vote. They're trying to get Jillian out. Uh, uh, who else? Randy also says, you know, let's, let's, not, let's not ignore Jillian <laughs> maybe being a target. She sucks. She is then, worthless. Yeah, she is worthless. Let's not forget that. So uh, then we go to tribal council, and it's uh, this is the one where where Fong doesn't have a leader. This becomes a big major thing that you need yeah, a leader. But, but even before that, it's it's that conversation with Kenny and Michelle where like they're talking about people who are no good and who they want to vote out, and Kenny's just basically like, yeah, you know, your name's being thrown around a lot, and Michelle's like, that just confirms that this tribe is losers. Uh, that they want to vote Kenny, me out. And Kenny's like, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you're kind of the the only, you know, you don't really talk to anybody other than me. And Michelle, you know, truly not only channeling poverty, but channeling Stephanie from Guatemala as well, finishes off her statement by saying her tribe is retarded. Yeah, they're all retarded. Yeah, that was borderline, you know, in Palau, Guatemala. It's Gabon now. We're here. <laughs> That's not okay. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's that whole thing, like like you said, where where it's it's the confirmation bias, where the I'm I'm annoyed because I'm ostracized, and yet I'm ostracized because I'm annoying. It's like, you know, Kenny's like, yeah, they're throwing your name around because you're not talking to anyone. And she's like, see, this confirms why I shouldn't talk to them. <laughs> yes. Just for that, I won't talk to them. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. Oh, this is not. Oh, yep. well, see you later. Yeah, you might want to cut bait on that one, Ken. Although she is hot. All right, yeah, we get to tribal council, and then Dan says, you know, we're not really that bad, Jeff. And Jeff just kind of laughs at them. Yeah, you guys suck. And then this is where Michelle. Oh, Michelle's so you're right. also in total denial. <laughs> yes. So then Michelle starts bashing everyone, and Dan and Susie tell her to shut up. It's just a, it's a little love tribe right out of row two here. And then yeah, Jeff just kind of sits back and lets them all fight. There's a nice little moment where Jeff actually knows to just sit back and don't do anything. And yeah, they're just all bickering and fighting, and Michelle's causing all this drama. And Jeff is like, yeah, what I see here is you guys don't have a leader. Yeah. And even Crystal admits, yeah, well, you know, we don't have anybody here to really stop this when this happens. Yeah, here's the thing. I know that Fong's going to win the, a couple of challenges a couple of episodes around. I know you guys are going to talk about the editorializing and the previously on, specifically how it might be a little heavy-handed when it comes to Fong. But, I mean, if you make comparisons between Fong and other tribes like Oolong or even Ravu from Survivor Fiji, I feel like the one thing that Fong actually has that they don't is actual like extreme infighting you made the kasaya comparison before i think it's extremely accurate i don't think there were any oolong or rabu tribal councils that we saw where there were seven people just yelling at each other all at once not even listening to each other that is pretty freaking remarkable on day three yeah it's there's legitimate dislike between these people which is fun and, and, and it sucks because i i always hate it when they you know it's always like we need a leader it's like, man, you've already lost. Like, like you, that's never going to go well. And then they're just basically like, well, GC's here. Yeah. He's got a he's got a lime green shirt. Let's make GC the leader. And G, like, what's GC gonna say there? Like, I know that you know, GC is not you know, uh, the greatest survivor player known to mankind. But it's just like, is he just basically gonna stand and go, you know what? No. 
Well, he almost so does, guys, though. No. He almost does. Yeah, he tries. Jeff's like, Jeff's like, Jeff's like, Jeff says, okay, GC, you want to be the leader? He's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't say that. And Jeff says, okay, GC is open to, be the le- to being the leader if you want him to be. I know. Right. I like, I like the fact go- that nobody wants to be the leader, so they do a poll. Is it okay if GC is the leader? And they're all like, yeah, fine. That's great. I'm great with that. It's not me. And then, and then Jeff's like, okay, GC, you're the leader now. And it's like. You know, and they're going to make a big deal, I guess, spoiler alert and something like they're going to make a big deal when GC's like, I don't want to be the leader. And they're like, yeah, GC quit. You didn't want to be the leader. And it's like, yeah, clearly you guys just foisted it on him. <laughs> what a loser. He quit his leadership. Yeah, GC's so, the leader and Michelle's gone. And that's really what you have to take from an hour and 58 minutes of us talking about one episode that we finally <laughs> lost. The, the cancer who nobody liked and who was gone two minutes into the game. No, no, GC's the cancer. Remember that Randy says he needs to excise it. <laughs> And this tribe's got a lot of cancers. Well, Michelle, she showed poverty. She took down that poser. Uh, Yeah, good good riddance. I feel like she, I mean, I know that Funk, again, like they're going to get blown out in the next challenge. I don't know, like as Jay was referring to, if it was good for their short-sighted game. But I think for my own personal sanity, I'm happy that she (laughs) went because, my God, she was such a fun sucker. I think for a first boot on Survivor, this is like the most fun you can have for a first boot that someone goes out who's like generally like aggravating to you and other contestants. You know, your your early favorite doesn't go home and you can point to a clear reason why she got voted right. out. There's no question. How, how the hell did Michelle end up going home? Right. Like it's it, very, very clear. I was going to say she plays one episode and she calls herself a Survivor alum. Poser. Rudy Bosch said once <laughs> in the – uh, in in the uh, in the great All Stars commentary, for those of you who have not listened to it yet, please go back and listen to the All Stars commentary from the DVDs because you know, especially the first episodes with Rudy and uh, Jenna Maraska and and uh, Rob Sesternino and stuff. I mean, that's gold. But um, Rudy says at some point, you know, he says, "With those early bo- boots, you don't need a reason. Sometimes someone just says a name and you just kind of pile on." Which, you know, it happens, you know, with the first boot sometimes, you know, sometimes someone gets the first boot and you're basically like, why did they get the first boot? And you can point like, oh, they didn't do well in the challenge or, oh, you know, they were a little abrasive or something like that. And, you know, you're, you're looking for these little reasons that sort of set them apart from someone else. And it's like with Michelle, with the first boot, you're basically like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I understand. She was even more annoying than Jillian. How about that? And ironically enough, Jay, the Rudy method you suggested was how they got GC elected leader as well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> G-Sizzle. Yeah. So, GC, do you get that machete sharp? <laughs> no, he's making the slushy, slushy noises with the washing machine. <laughs> I just imagine when you say, GC, did you get the machete sharp? He does that, like, look to the left and look to the right and shrugs the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're in episode two. We're all the way up to episode two. We may get through two episodes on this podcast here. Or the oh, no. second Sorry. half of the first episode. Episode yeah, one, hour two. See, this is what I meant. It's going to be confusing. We're still in the first episode, but it's technically the second hour of Survivor. Coming up boot. on the Historians podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should insert something here. There you go. Mike, that throw something in here right now. Coming up later on the Historians. Ah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, episode to episode one whatever what the fuck okay so fong comes back and they talk about gc and gc's their leader and gc you know starts a fire for them with flint and everyone's all happy look he did a leader thing so things are going to turn around things are going to start happening to us now on fong basically like steve martin in the jerk and uh so we cut over to uh, coda and we get a uh, <laughs> charlie of course 
telling us how everyone loves Marcus and why doesn't every girl in America love Marcus and jump all over him? I would. And then Charlie tells Marcus, I panic whenever you leave me. I need you around. <laughs> Again, like, he needs, to, he needs to record himself and play it back in a Tobias Fugue way. <laughs> if it involved dating a chubby, I will suck it up. <laughs> yes. And this is where Marcus starts talking about, you know, expanding the alliance. And Charlie's just basically like, whatever you say, Marcus. And this is Marcus is like, he's like, Charlie's cool, I guess. We bond. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this but, is uh, what I'm also talking to other people, too. Yeah, this is one of those things I had forgotten, having not watched the season in a while. And again, this must be the season between 1 and 20 that I know the least. I just don't remember it, a lot of the stuff. Like, why were they called The Onion? I had no idea why they were called The Onion. I just knew they were The Onion. So for people who haven't seen it in a while, Marcus, it's Marcus. It all starts with him. Marcus. Where he says, you have certain people that are close to you, and then other Alliance members who are a little further out, not quite as close, but they're a little the next layer out. So Charlie is his inner circle, then Jackie, and then Corinne, and then they want Bob. Those are the five they kind of need, and it's like a layers of an onion from inwards to outward. So if there if this ever comes up in a trivia contest, that's what the Onion Alliance stands for. It's all from Marcus. And, and I believe they even say here, no one's made the pitch, but we know it's coming. We're the five, we're the four that really uh, run the show. We get along. We kind of get stuff done. Bob would be our perfect fifth. We can get rid of Ace and Sugar. We can get rid of uh, Kelly and Paloma later. So this is where it all kind of starts, even though there's no formal pitch yet. And I will say that I think, you know, starting with two hours might be a little iffy, two episodes right off the bat. But I think one advantage of that is that they're able to – it's not two separate episodes, right? They bill it as, like, one cohesive two-hour block with just two rounds contained in it. So I feel like actually the Charlie Marcus stuff is a really nice arc over these two hours of, like, we see the, the relationship germinate, and now we start to see them build the alliance. It will officially coalesce, as Maru is alluding to, next episode when Coda has to go to Tribal Council. But now we know where they are in the game, and so I actually think that arc works really nicely over the course of this two-hour block. Yep. It works just about as nice as Marcus's beautiful blue eyes. All right, so we're going over to Fong again, and, you know, GC is doing his leader thing. He's delegating tasks, and he's handing out rules on when people can eat food and what their dinner is going to be. And now people are already starting to bristle because surprisingly Fong doesn't like having a leader. <laughs> well, and then I guess, you know, Randy's going to be the main voice here because uh, when somebody's disgruntled, you usually turn to Randy Bailey for that. Uh, I think the main conflict is what that GC wanted to use the already cleaned boiled water to make the rice. And Randy argues that now you have to boil the water twice. And GC doesn't understand that because he thinks we're just surrounded by water. It doesn't really matter. And this launches Randy new operation operation. Let other people crash and burn. Watching this scene, like I could relate so much to being in a group setting or with a coworker or something and it might be early on. So you, you don't really have the position yet to really stand your ground and someone is just being idiotic and you just want to be like, you already boiled this water. You're going to have to boil it again for rice. Don't go boil the, the water that's already boiled. And his response to it is, it's just water. Like I can relate that that scene captured so much how frustrating it must have been to work with GC and how frustrating he must have been as a leader. It also it captures people... what it's like gathering food in Montana. <laughs> exactly. Never and, boil. And it... That's one of her mottos in uh, Earth Class Eden 1.0 um, was, you know, you never boil water twice. What's your bucolic? In... Billings? <laughs> <laughs> Bozeman. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, and, and is it people with with uh, with two letter sort of initials that that just want to use clean water for everything? Is is GC channeling BB in this? And he wants to quit just like BB did. Wow. 
I was going to say it's KK, uh, Katrina Kimmel, um, who you know, boils water for her horses. She's always known for, for messing up that process. All right. So, okay, so we're going to go to map. We have this little fight with Randy and GC, which will continue. Randy will have a history of fighting with people. <clears throat> and not really uh, to Randy's detriment. I mean, it's not Randy's not really out of line in a lot of these fights. He's actually correct a lot of the time. So we go back to Coda. Marcus finally pulls in Corinne, and they finalize the alliance. And Corinne is, of course, all over it because she's hardcore. She's ready to go. Let's vote these dead deadweight losers out of here. And they decide, we like Bob. Bob's a nice old man. We'll just bring him along. And then Corinne, of course, points out, it's not like any of us are going to take Bob to the end. Technically, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and then Charlie, of course, says, you know, the onions were, were amazing. We're four brains working as one. It's so incredible. Marcus. The second part I made up. But he does say the first part, that they're four brains working as one, and they're all hardcore survivor people. So, And then, again, it gets got Marcus, Charlie, Corinne, and Jackie. So those are those are the brains of the operation here. Let's, let's get to the, slush, the slushy slushy. That's exactly where we're going, the slushy slushy. So, all right, so we're now on night, the night of uh, probably day four or whatever, and all the Fong tribe is trying to sleep. And GC, doing what every good leader does, decides at two in the morning to get up and start doing laundry and make noises while they're sleeping. And this is where Jillian gets up, and she and GC have a wonderfully comical argument, as only minor characters can do, is where they argue over when you're allowed to make noise and be quiet in camp. And this is a such a day four argument on Survivor. So if GC does exactly what a leader should do, Jillian does exactly what someone should do who is on the outs and clearly the next to go. She should, you know, get up and start arguing <laughs> yeah. with people. And plus, I don't even know how Jillian knew he was doing laundry of the night because it's dark. She can't see anything. So I don't true, know how she that's knew. true. It was her bat ears that heard the slush, 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 slush. But I also love that, like, there's a point to both of them, which is, like, fantastic. Right, right. Jill, yeah. Jillian's like, GC, you're making noise, and maybe we should obviously leave me. And GC's like, you and everybody was snoring in there, and I couldn't sleep. And also, to be fair, it's it's not just GC, too, right? Isn't Jillian getting bothered by the fact that, like, Ken got up and started talking to him, and then Dan got up, and they all started talking? Right. GC is not... Quiet, he, Susie. Yeah, he, he's, he started it, but, like, everyone else was joining in and raucously talking as the sun went up. Jillian seems to be the most bothered by it. Yeah, she's, she's totally like, she's totally justified in saying that you know her her, her idea is totally justified. But guess what, Jillian? You don't get to say that. You don't get to get up and be condescending and say that if we could just you know keep the blah 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 to the daytime. It's just like oh yikes, 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 yikes. And I think this is where GC resigns for as leader for the first time. Yeah, yeah. He says, "Yeah, I don't want to be leader anymore." And Randy, of course, in the confessional laughs that GC stands for golden child. You can't tell him what to do. He just laughs. He's like, yeah, that was GC's best decision as a leader yet, quitting. Yeah, he's like, I wouldn't want to lead this tribe. I mean, that was the whole thing, right? Like, GC's like, I'm not the leader. And it's like, yeah, good. Nobody wants to be a leader. And GC, of course, nominates Dan. Uh, Dan should be the leader. And Dan's like, oh, my managerial style wouldn't work for this particular group of individuals. (laughs) Like, fuck that. I'm not being a leader. So, yeah, more of Fong. More Fong entertainment. But don't worry, they're going to get their spirits up because Dan has war paint. <laughs> yes. All right, we are heading now into the episode one slash two, into the the reward challenge. I think this is a reward slash immunity challenge for you get both. And this is one where they have to roll the big ball across the, the field, and they have to pick up all these keys and go through locks and go through chains. And it's very, very reminiscent of the very similar challenge they did back in Survivor Africa, the third season, which was a nice little callback, even to the, even down to the same colors. 
Which was way better because that had some women falling down, but uh, none of that to be seen on this one. As close as we get with Jillian. <laughs> yeah, what's fu- I was gonna say. What's funny about this challenge is falling wants nothing to do with Jillian. They just tell her don't push the ball, run off to the side, so she doesn't have a chance <laughs> to fall down. They just they eliminate her from the challenge. You're not allowed to participate. I feel like with uh, this is so tangential, but I feel like with Jeff Probst's banter, Jeff Probst's contestant banter. I mean, Jonathan Penner is second to none. But I feel like we should put Crystal Cox in contention as well. I've pointed out like several Jeff Crystal interactions throughout the course of this set of episodes that are really fun. Uh, first, when Fong walks in with their war paint, except for Randy, who has like, I don't know, he looks like he has two black eyes. Um, and Jeff asks, you know, what's with the face paint? And Crystal just says, beautification. It's just these weird little moments between the two that are so much fun. But it's the only fun that Fong is going to have because it's a closer <laughs> challenge. We'll give them that, but they still lose. Yeah, and this is one where they not only win immunity, but you also win a bunch of fishing gear. You can catch stuff. So, yeah, it's a dual challenge. And I will point out for uh, people that like little minute survivor uh, history trivia, you know the the, the interesting thing that happens at the start of this challenge, right? Mm. You guys are aware of this? Penis gate? Yeah, penis gate. This is something you may not be aware of. There's a very... A quick shot in there of Marcus running and his uh, his li- little Linus pops out of his shorts. You can see it quite visibly. It's not edited out. You can see Marcus's penis. It's uh, it's a very far away shot, but it is visible there. So uh, pe- people joke about it on the internet all the time. Yeah, the Marcus's penis you can see in the episode, and they forgot to blur it. It happens right here at the start of this challenge. Well, actually, like I believe the Parents Television Council like actually reached out after the episode to complain about it. So I mean, I was watching this on Amazon Prime, and it's it's still visible there but i believe in other sort of like syndicated parts they either cut it out or blur it out much like Susie's old shirt yeah maybe she had a picture of marcus's penis on her shirt they did they didn't know each other before the game so that could be a possibility actually (laughs) no it's crystal that he knew right it's crystal right i got i got the two mixed up Maybe well, I know Charlie had a picture. Charlie had a picture of Marcus's penis on his shirt. <laughs> oh boy! Wait, wait, can, we, can we also talk about? Did you guys notice Bob's do rag that he had on? Was he doing the do? Well, he had, he had like a weird like piece of fabric over his head, and then when they win immunity, he th- starts throwing up weird hand signals. So I don't exactly know <laughs> if what Bob does during I don't know the spring in Maine, but maybe like a gang member might be one of them. <laughs> he does drive bys. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to be poaching my lobster <laughs> yeah I, I have not noticed bob with the weird hand signals but i will go back and look that's great <clears throat> okay so yeah coda wins the challenge again this one of course is much closer probably because fong would not let julian participate and uh yeah so coda wins again they win the fishing gear they win immunity for the second time and they send uh dan to exile island they get this is where the first time in the season you get the winning tribe gets to pick someone from the losing tribe to go to exile island and they look over at fong they see the two strongest members look clearly look like they're dan and maddie they pick dan and so uh the guy who will be soon be known as analytical dan it will be sent off to exile and I just wrote my notes here. Coda just keeps getting stronger and stronger, and that's that is not going to change. We do <laughs> we do get a Marcus less Charlie confessional, but it's actually almost sadder in that Charlie's confessional is about how his life here is ten times better than it is at home, which just sounds <laughs> really really sad for Charlie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I know GC will later say how he's had a tragic life and it's so sad, but you really come out of it just thinking more, having more sympathy for poor Charlie. <laughs> Cheer up, Charlie. <laughs> yes. Give him a golden ticket. 
All right. So, yeah. So, uh, Coda, just they go back to camp. They start catching fish left and right. They're amazing. And this is all we hear left and right. Oh, we're amazing. Our guys are so good. They can do everything. They're so clever. And now we go to Dan at Exile Island for some comedy. So here's the twist this season with Exile Island, which I sort of liked. You know, if you're going to have Exile Island, you know, you mix it up. So basically what they have is they have this hut that's out in the middle of the water, this well-built hut. But it, the door to the hut is locked with a key. And when you walk up to the uh, to the hut, there are two sort of, uh, what, gourds. And there's a note and that Dan had to read. And, and basically, you get to choose one. And one of the gourds has a key to the hut where you can be inside and, and kind of there's a hammock in there. And then there's like, you know, a basket of fruit. And it's it's the comfort choice. Do you go to Exile Island and get get some food and, and get some nice rest and some shade and all that sort of stuff? Or do you choose the clue that's going to start you on the immunity idol chase? And this is, you know, the first game. I think that Dan makes the right choice. He's like, I'm going to go look for the idol. And he gets his first clue and it doesn't go well for him. Dan has a problem with prepositions uh, because I believe the, the clue says that like go across the lake and dig in a sandy crater and then Dan immediately after reading the clue goes you don't think it's in the lake is it and so he yeah. says that the, sandy, the sandy crater that's across the lake must be in the lake yeah yeah well he even says he buries, he buries himself right at the start because he says I've been through law school. I'm very analytical. Like I'm good at following directions. And he immediately blows the first direction. Yeah. It's across the lake lies the Sandy Crater. And, you know, of course, we get the helicopter pan that shows this gigantic Sandy Crater. But, yeah, he says, across the lake. You don't mean it. You don't think it's in the lake. <laughs> yeah. It's actually not across the lake. It's even more blatant. It says past the lake. Past the lake. Yeah. yeah. Past the lake. You don't think it's in the lake. <laughs> in the you lake. Get the shots of, you get the shots of him, like, leaning down on the water, like, looking in there. And then you see him like other things, he's just outside, you know, just taking a stroll, digging at random things. And, you know, and then he was, you know, and he basically was like, well, that sucked. Couldn't find it. <laughs> Dan does not do well. At, yeah, he would not do well in escape rooms. I also like him like at the end, there's a shot of him like lasciviously staring into what would be soon called the sugar shack at the apple. Uh, though from his point of view, it would probably be like, oh, that apple is across the hut. It's not in the hut. <laughs> just take the damn apple. It's past the hut. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dan and the prepositions. That was good, Mike. That was really good, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I hope you guys appreciate Mike's very subtle jokes there. Those are very good. Some of those. <laughs> I'm going to miss them so much. Expiration yeah, date, we'll yeah. miss you. We'll miss your, your spe- uh, spirit and your speaking your mind openly, Mike. Bukali. Two out, of, two, out, two out of the three of us will miss you. <laughs> yeah. Although we got Kristen in here so fast, it's going to be so quick. Your, head, your head's going to spin. All right, so uh, so now we go back to camp, and Fong has to discuss voting somebody out tonight. And they're all like, you know, Jillian sucks. <laughs> and I think this is, is it Randy? Or someone else points out, you know, GC sucks too. This isn't that obvious. But GC's going to prove his worth, because he's going to make, uh, he's actually going to MacGyver his own fishing line and actually catch a fish with it. That's true. We will get to that. Let's see, yeah, so it's Jillian right now, and we have Jillian and Susie worrying about, you know, all the young people are going to take us out. Let's take out Kenny, and then GC's name gets thrown around. And, yeah, this, this is the scene that Mike was just talking about where Randy breaks his glasses and makes this little MacGyver fishing hook, and GC uses his shoelace. So GC and Randy actually work together here, and they catch a fish. And it, this will be the one and only time that something good happens out of that pairing. I also just want to um, call out how, you know, interesting it is to hear Jillian and Susie talk strategy to each other and having Jillian, you know, saying that, you know, she's, you know, perhaps looking for a surprise vote out 
and um, Susie's response is that, well, we can't think too much about this. <laughs> you don't want to do that. We're good. Let's just g- gather some sticks and we'll just, you know, we'll go with the flow. Yeah. I think he had DLR plates. He must have been a dealer. <laughs> All right. All right, so here we go back, and Dan comes back to the tribe, to tribe happiness, and tells them all about exile, and uh, GC says, you know, Dan's acting weird. He goes, I think I think he has the idol, so <laughs> all of a sudden the vote comes, it's going to be between Dan or Jillian. I'm not sure how that happens, <laughs> but all of a sudden Dan is in the mix. Uh, such a fong move of like, well, we yeah. could vote off the clear weak link, or let's go for this strong individual that we have a personal problem with. It's really <laughs> tough decision. <laughs> he's acting to, weird today yeah to be fair to them it, it, it's always weird i mean and, and this is something that jeff is going to talk about to some of the a lot of these characters which is how do you play off like do you play that you have the idol do you play that you don't have the idol and stuff like that but like i think dan was very humbled by the fact that like he got the first clue and literally got stuck you know which you know dan like we said dan's a smart guy he's an analytical guy and i mean i think that you know and and, and it's very alluded to at the beginning you know he's like i'm trying to find myself so like he's really kind of trying to be introspective. So, like, he came back, and he was very much like, guys, I didn't find the idol, and not only did I not find the idol, it kicked my ass, and I really had a lot of thoughts about it. And they're all just like, he's talking a lot. He must have the idol. (laughs) He's scheming. (laughs) Yeah, Dan's one of those guys that seems like he can't lie. He's, like, too honest. Yep. I have to tell you my exact thought process, and they're like, he's lying. And I'll I'll be honest with you, if I ever played Survivor, I think I would be the exact same way. I would, like, talk out everything and then everyone would be like what the hell is this guy doing he's just like saying stuff so like i sort of felt for dan in that moment because i was like man i would probably be trying to play it off i mean hopefully i'd be better at that but you know like i was i'd just be like oh man blah blah blah. really made you think and they're just like he's a lawyer and he's talking he must have the idol this is where we get the famous quote from maddie which i know mike was joking about earlier i never trust anyone in a suit yeah bro yeah i never trust anyone in a suit we don't wear suits on the west coast None of my three moms wear suits. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so Maddie does not trust anyone in a suit. So there you go. It ties in very well with Chris Doherty saying, I trust any guy who wears a ponytail. Just random reasons to trust or not trust people. All right. So, yes. so go to go to tribal council here. Uh, really, really fun. Again, I'll put an, point out another fun little Jeff Crystal interaction where Jeff asks, Crystal, did you guys talk about the idol? And Crystal just says, you know, we did. It's just Crystal completely <laughs> calling Jeff out on his BS. Yeah, Crystal's actually kind of funny when she's not blowing challenges, although to be fair, she's funny then too. Yeah, and and, and what I will compliment Crystal on is that, you know, Crystal, okay, she makes a bad, she makes a bad call here in the sense that, and I mean, Fong is always going to vote weird, so you just kind of have to go with it, but like, she thinks that Dan has the idol, but you know, when you follow her logic and reasoning, I mean, she was just like, the lawyer's not going to blow the first clue, right? Like, you know, the lawyer's going to follow this through. But so so you can sort of follow our logic, but it's like Crystal reads people surprisingly decently. Mm-hmm. It's just that she can't convert any of it into, you know, actual decent, you know, sort of things. But it's like I, th- I think that Crystal is a good observer of people. It's just it's never going to pan out in any way. Yeah, well, that's true. That's a good point. Very fair to Crystal. We'll give her give her props. All right. So but, we go to tribal yeah. tribal council here, and this is where GC admits he's not the leader anymore. And it's like, you were the leader before? And like, I wasn't aware you were the leader. <laughs> but okay, yeah, so he formally quits. He does all the paperwork. It's been filled out. He is no longer the leader. And Dan, and Dan dumps his bag out in the middle of tribal council. <laughs> yeah. Or should I say, I should say he dumps it out across tribal council. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. He dumps it past tribal council. <laughs> he like gets up the end, dumps it, and he's just like, I don't lie. It's like, 
great survivor play. This is good. <laughs> Show your hand. Yes. Yep. I told you there was nothing above my bag. <laughs> Jillian Jillian predicts that they're doomed. <laughs> yes. So yeah, we're gonna lose Jillian, who I, I somehow remembered as being a major character, but she's not. She's gone by the end of the first episode. Can we just all together, you know, give a little chant together for Jillian? Maybe does anyone know an African word for fierce or something similar to that? <laughs> I know an African word for squeeze. <laughs> she says on her way out that she really was hoping and wanted to win Survivor Africa. And she's about seven years too late for that. But maybe she should have aspired to win Survivor Gabon first. Maybe she would have done better. And as she she gets her torch stuff, then she like quietly mutters out like, bummer. Which I think maybe she like bummer. got that word from Maddie or something from his hip surf lingo. Well, she does live in California, so it's possible they could hang out at the beach. You don't, You never know. Jillian is a really good sport about everything. I have to give her props that as, as goofy as she is. And we had her one time. She came on the, the tribe uh, podcast and stuff and was a really, really good sport. So anything that we say about Jillian is is in good fun because she's also can. I don't know if she can laugh at herself, but she can laugh kind of with you. I don't know if she knows that it's about her, but <laughs> yeah. she's fun. I, I wrote a funny 115 entry where I make fun of her and her cow and her uh, elephant crap fetish. And she read it and she thought it was funny and she wrote in to explain the myriad of other uses for elephant dung and how that was all legitimate. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so I'm right, not sure like, she really realized that we're making yeah. fun of her, but okay. I'm sure there's yeah. many uses for elephant dung. Like none of those things she was saying, I was like, that's untrue. You know what I mean? Like, she, I'm like, I'm sure you can get water out of elephant dung and then get food. <laughs> but again, I don't know if we're there yet. Yeah, I don't like, know if that's. Yeah, theoretically, you could use T-shirts to filter out 99% of bacteria, <laughs> but you don't exactly, If you depends on how you go about, you know, externalizing that information. Well, that's <laughs> like that's Jurassic like... Park. Jurassic Park, just because you could. You never thought to think if you should. Well, what it is, I mean, it's quite literally the Bear Grylls show, where, like, Bear Grylls goes out there, and it's like he's out there for 20 minutes, and he's just like, oh, it's hot. I need to drink my own urine. It's like, whoa, Bear, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. Want to look for something first? No, no, we're going right to the P. Okay, all right. <laughs> right to the P. So that's it. And then we there was one quote in there I remember. I just was watching it where Randy, they don't show Randy's vote, but they show his comments like, it shouldn't be you tonight, but it is. I'm sorry or something like that. And I'm like, but I thought he hated, I thought he hated Jillian. And I remember asking Randy a long time ago about that. Like, you hated Jillian. Is that because you hated GC more? And he's like, yeah, GC sucked. <laughs> So that's it. He didn't really love Jillian. He just hated GC more. Hey, let's get to the next episode. <laughs> episode two, three, whatever this is. Episode two. Now, this one is, is this the one that's entitled, she's obviously post-op? Yep. Yep. And there's no, that quote never shows up in anything. So I'm not sure what that means. I think, I'm assuming it's a reference Paloma or somebody made to Crystal in the reward challenge about her possibly being transgender, which definitely does not play nowadays yeah hashtag 2008 um yeah. it still feels like <laughs> uh, uh, yeah mm -hmm. yeah when was crystal gonna tell everyone she was gonna win the hell out of the game yes all right so anyway we go to this episode and this is with the previously on survivor where probes just starts laying into fong at a level he's never done this before where he's just uh it's a previously on Survivor. Fong is the worst tribe ever. They couldn't do anything. And then finally they made a unified decision to get rid of their horrible leader. And Jillian was gone. And they're the worst. And it's like, 
dude, what did they run over your puppy or something? Like, it's just, he just lays into him and he's going to do this the next couple episodes. It's really odd because this, if it's not the first time in Survivor history he's done this, it's one of the worst or one of the first. Well, sir, I do believe we are off the hook for the worst trap. <laughs> yeah. It's over, bro. <laughs> Pound it. Pound it, yeah. yeah. How did Adam come back? <laughs> he was, Rara wasn't too bad. I was making a Ramu reference. Okay. Aye, aye. All right. So, yeah. So, Fong is just getting decimated, and we start the episode with a confessional from Randy where he said, the problem with the, my tribe is they're stupid. So, Randy was not cut the ch- cuts right to the chase here. Well, they also – so, Fong has a little bit of a food rationing problem. We'll get this as sort of a theme, as Mario alluded to at the very beginning of this podcast, where – for as leader in his short tenure as leader, GC decides to say it's okay if we eat three meals of rice a day because, as you can tell, our challenge record shows that it clearly is working. Uh, but <laughs> Randy very quickly realizes that they are running out of rice extremely quickly. They could be facing a, a Survivor Australia type of situation at day like eighteen in the game. So he says, you know, let's let's scale it back to two meals a day. And at this point, everyone seems on board except for GC. Well, Kenny seems to have some doubt. I mean, there's some people that are that bristle at it, right? They're just like, I, I don't want to eat less food, you know? And yeah, but GC's the main one. Where GC Randy's wants like, three meals a day. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> I love where like dessert. Randy's like, we're, we're running out of rice. And everyone's just like, well, we got to eat rice. <laughs> and then GC says something like, well, that first day I threw away like half a pound of rice. And you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know, it looked funny, so I threw it away. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like, like you pointed out, they're already – Randy's noticing they're already running out of rice, and this is only, like, the eighth, seventh day. That's well, as far as we G- are. Yeah, GC tries to make the argument then where he's just like, well, they, you know, that first day we ate so much, you know, I, I threw away, like, half a pound. So I don't feel like we need to be punished for other people's mistakes. It's like, it's your mistake. <laughs> you threw away the pound of half a pound of rice. <laughs> I just don't think it's fair if we don't have rice. Well, okay, but you still have don't have rice. And then this is where Randy points out that GC is now the cancer of the tribe and it needs to be excised. And like, Fong is crawling with cancer, apparently. <laughs> All right, so yeah, GC and Randy fight and just more of that. Okay, so we go over to Paloma, or to Coda, and this is where Paloma and Kelly are getting together to bitch about Ace. They hate Ace, they don't like him there. Uh, you got Sugar and Ace being super tight. Everyone can just see it. That Ace is saying he wants to take Sugar far. So it's just, it's annoying. And this is, we're starting to get a little seeds of discontent among Coda for the first time this season. And we have a reward challenge coming up. And this is actually going to be fairly important here where, you know, there's a reward chi- challenge coming up. And we cut to Ace, who clearly looks like he's the leader of the Codas. This is, I think, something people forget. That they're just kind of going to, to Ace for the decisions. And Ace says, you know... This reward challenge is nice, but we want to win immunity more than reward. Immunity is the big one. So we can we can do a strategic withdrawal and not put our best players out for this challenge. And this is going to become important here. So that's what's going to happen here. It's going to lead to a little different story arc for a while. Well, and, and again, it, it solidifies this like twosome sort of thing where like Sugar, you know, Sugar is going to have a lot of different confessionals. So it's not it's not like a, a one sided thing like Charlie's confessionals mainly being about Marcus. But like Sugar is just basically like, yeah, I'm with Ace. It's cool. You know, and then Ace is just basically like, I am the king of the tribe, Mr. Bond. What are you going to do? And then, you know, then you've got Paloma going like, boy, I really don't like Ace. I was talking to Kelly and we both agree. That's right. Another two-person alliance. Let's take over the tribe. You're going like, what's with all the pairs? Like, it's just pairs forever. (laughs) Kelly and I will take down this tribe. 
All right, so the episode three reward challenge, and I have to point out a bit of trivia here. This is something that that Randy pointed out to me a long time ago. When I was writing the Funny 115, I was in touch with Randy because he liked my writing. So we kind of talk about the entries and talk about Gabon. And he said something he pointed out, and it starts right here. He said, he goes, I bet a lot of people don't know. They kind of think of me as this old guy, this crusty guy who's out of shape, doesn't really, isn't good in challenges. But if you watch Gabon, there's a stretch of challenges where Randy is on the winning side of every single challenge for like the next 16, 18 days or something. He does not lose a challenge. And he's like an integral member in a lot of them. He's like a big mm -hmm. dominator in some of these challenges. So Randy pointed out, I don't know if it's still true, but at the time he told me, I still hold the record for the most consecutive challenges won, and people don't realize that about me. So make sure to mention that on the Funny 115. And I'm mentioning that again here on our podcast, that Randy's actually a very impressive player this season, if you watch some of the, kind of between the lines. That starting, this is the challenge right here. Fong is going to win this reward challenge, and Randy will not lose a challenge again for many episodes. So this is uh, the repeat from Cook Islands, where essentially one person from each tribe is on a post. Two people from the other tribe have to drag them kicking and screaming across the line. And I mean, as much as we may mock Crystal for really biffing every other challenge over the course of her Survivor tenure, this is the one challenge that she absolutely murders. It's the overpower someone and drag them across a finish line. Yes. But, if you take steroids and you have roid rage, it? you'd be good at this one. Does she murder it though? I mean, that that last that that last round is all men except for her. They could have ran somebody else, but they said let's bring Crystal yeah. out. I feel like that's significant. I'm I'm going to give her credit. I'm not going to not give her credit, but I do love the the fact that you know the the, the two. I, I think the two things that were fun in in this thing was was first of all the in the second one where they decide to put Paloma up on the. Uh, on the pole, right? And I mean, they easily, you know, get her off the pole and drag her. And you know, Randy's taunting her the whole time. <laughs> You're done. You're done. You know, and they go. But then the third one, yeah, it's it's the third one. It seems like it took a long time, right? You know, it's and Dan is on the pole for Fong basically, and it's Crystal and God, who's Maddie, right? Are are trying to and they're trying to drag Ace, and it's Marcus and Maddie Bob. and Crystal. Yeah, Marcus and Bob that are trying to get Dan off the pole. And it's funny because, you know, they're they're both struggling to get there. And it's funny, like, at some point, you know, and Dan's fighting, and Dan just leans over and says, Crystal, win! I can't hold out much longer! Yeah, but it's one of those things, if you had done, put this challenge up with Crystal up against females, it would have been ugly. She would have murdered somebody. Oh, She's yeah. so much bigger than them. Yeah. So this is a fun challenge, and again, the, the Kodos are not throwing their A team out there. They're throwing maybe their B team out there because it's, like A said, a strategic withdrawal. But yeah, so the first uh, round, you have Dan on the pole for Fong, and you have uh, Ace on the pole for Coda. And of course, Ace doing classic James Bond villain stuff, just yawning during his introduction, like, ah, this is nothing, we'll win. Just a great great dick move. And then uh, Ace, of course, does win for the first round, but the next two rounds go to Coda, go to uh, Fong where the second round where Randy and Crystal destroy Paloma. And like Jay said, Randy's just taunting poor Paloma. You're done. You're done. And he slams her down at the end, which is a great Randy move. And then go ahead. I think this challenge also shows a, like a, they maybe they, they did a little bit before this too, but it really started like being really prevalent in challenges that it's clear. They only showed just like three rounds of this. Like there's no way this was just a three round challenge. Right. And so this is really where they, like really start doing okay well we'll pick we'll, we'll edit this down and, and we'll make it just really interesting to watch instead of having a lot of rounds at one after the other we're going to pick our three really best ones that best capture the challenge and those are the ones we're going to show this is also the one where like they do the 
oh, a certain number of people can compete. So Fong actually had to sit someone out as well. They had to set out one guy in order to have even genders, which is a, it's a rarity on Survivor when they have to do that. And it makes you wonder if they ran this many more rounds than we saw on TV, just how often Paloma was brutalized in this challenge. <laughs> she was clearly the tiniest one out there. All right, so yeah, so Fong wins. It's their big challenge, which doesn't really go with the narrative that Probst has been saying that they're the worst tribe ever who will never win anything. But okay, we'll go with that. Fong wins. They... uh this is a reward, right? What was the reward? It was for blankets and pillows and stuff, hammock, things like that. Comfort. Yes. So they win, and Crystal cries. She's so emotional that they finally won a challenge, and they get to send someone from CODA to exile, and they send Sugar. And this will be the first of approximately, what, 12 episodes in a row that Sugar's <laughs> going to exile? More or less, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Sugar goes off to exile. Let's, let's send the pinup model. I'm sure she'll do well out there. But, you know, this wasn't actually a loss by CODA. This was a strategic withdrawal. Well, it's interesting as well because I know, Mario, you're going to talk a lot about how your sort of big theory about Survivor Gabon is that Sugar is really dictating a lot of not only the action but also the narrative. And she starts by really vocalizing that, by being like, not just saying like, oh, I'm bummed to go to Exile Island. Sugar says, oh, I know why they picked me. It's because they think I'm stupid. Well, I'm not really stupid. I'll show you. Let me go to Exile Island. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Sugar is amazing at always steering the narrative towards something that gives her a major part of the storyline. It's really impressive if you the more you watch for it. And I don't I'm not 100 percent sure she's doing it on purpose. I think she is more and more as the season goes along at the start. I'm not 100 percent sure. But again, she's a she's very good at drawing airtime. Let's just say that. I'm sure she went out there on the show and basically was going to say, hey, you know, I, I want I want the show to be about me. I want TV time. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? with a season with with all these people and moving parts and you may get voted out and all that sort of stuff but you know exile island is this weird variable where it's just you so if you are entertaining and compelling on exile island you're the only person they can film so you know in subsequent seasons they counter that if you don't have like a a sugar or a coach or somebody going out to exile island is you just don't film exile island you know or you just sort of film the pertinent parts like hey i found an idol or you know Oh, Exile Island is boring, but Sugar uses Exile Island because she keeps getting sent there. She uses it to her advantage, and she can, you know, at some point she sort of realizes, man, they've got a lot of footage of me. I'm going to really use this. Yeah, and you were saying she catches a break by going to Exile. She also catches a break in that she understands how prepositions work. (laughs) So when she reads the exact same clue that Dan got, hey, look, this was pretty easy, and she gets past the clue number one that Dan was stuck on and solves all the other clues and gets the idol, so. (laughs) There's a very big moment where where Sugar gets out there, she has her little adventure, she uh, gets lost, she gets found, she goes through the swamp, and yay, she finds the idol, and this is the great moment in her life that's going to make up for when her father just died recently, and it was all sad, and this is like her heroic moment, so good for Sugar. We're going we're, we're gonna to hear more about her father later. All right, so let's go to Coda here. So Sugar found the idol, it's been a big deal, Sugar got to talk to her father through the idol. And we go to Coda, and Paloma's very upset that Ace is still dictating everything. She's mad that they forced her to be in that challenge. She had to be on the poll. And there's a fantastic shot, and this is something that online Survivor fans have talked about for years. Do you know which what I'm talking about here? The shot where Paloma appears to be <laughs> yes, sitting on she's, nothing. She's, she's giving a confessional, and she's, she's fucking <laughs> sitting on nothing, and I have no I've idea what she's sitting I've always tried to figure this out. I'm like, how does this happen? I, it like, defies like logic, like rules of, of, of physics. I don't get it. Yeah, for people who don't are aware of this, who haven't seen this in a while, don't know what we're talking about, just go to Gabon, episode three, it'll be three on the D, or two, two on the DVD, 
and just watch right after the challenge where the where Randy and all them pull them off the pole. And there's a scene with Paloma sitting there, and she's, I swear to God, hovering in midair as giving a confessional, and we have no idea what she's sitting on. It's the weirdest shot you've ever seen. Wow, Paloma's the first genie to ever compete on Survivor. She really is. The only thing I've thought of is it's like she's sitting on a stool or something, and her legs are like blocking the the legs of the stool, and her skirts over the the platform of the stool or something. It's very weird. Go check it out. Weird. Okay. So uh, let's see. So uh, we go to Coda. We're staying on Coda here. Bob tells Ace that you know Paloma and Sugar are at the bottom, and uh, this is it. This is where everyone's worrying that Ace is playing too hard. Ace is too much of a leader. Ace is too strong. Ace is too tight with Sugar. What if Sugar comes back with an immunity idol? It's going to be trouble. So there's a lot of wariness at this point between Ace and Sugar and then Paloma at the bottom. So there's, that's we're, we're getting some foreshadowing here that Coda is going to have some hard times in this episode. And uh, let's see here. Uh, now, this is the quote I think I mentioned earlier where Corinne says, yeah, we want Bob in our alliance, but... Uh, it's not like we're interested in taking him to the end, but for now we need him. And this, of course, is you know one of those ha-ha winner quotes later. Yeah, we we, we, so, we need him to biff a math puzzle. We really do. Yes. Okay, so right before we get uh, the tree mail for the immunity challenge coming up and both tribes get swimsuits, they're told that this one's going to be in the water. So this is exciting. Oh, yeah, we get our swimsuits because this is kind of how Survivor works now. They don't give them their swimsuits or, or, or uh, luxury items if they still have them. They don't give them to them right away. Sometimes you have to win them in challenges or things like that. So they get their swimsuits for this challenge. And here we go. This is the episode two immunity challenge, the slip and slide puzzle, but the slip and slide challenge. Yeah. So basically what happens is uh, they launch themselves down this little slip and slide into a lake to collect a color number tile uh, and basically, once they have all six, they come back and one person solves an actual, like, word math problem uh, to figure out a specific order in which the numbers go in. You use that to solve a combination lock. And from there, you find an axe to cut the rope. And it's one of these things where, you know, they always say you make it up at the puzzle. And that shows for Fong here where Crystal gets out to an early lead because, as Jeff points out, everyone else has to swim out to their tiles. But Crystal can just stand in the lake and grab them and just walk back. Uh, but then Fong, from the physical perspective, very quickly falls behind. But because Bob kind of, while he's a physics teacher, uh, maybe he's not necessarily good at word problems. Kenny's able to pass him and defeat him. And Fong wins their first, I think, of only two immunities that Fong wins throughout the course of the entire pre-merge of Survivor Gabon. Yes. Again, second challenge in a row that Randy's going to win. Although I should point out, Susie is also included with that. Randy and Susie have tie for that record. So there are going to be a lot of challenges in a row that Susie and Randy are going to win. But yeah, there's uh, something in this challenge, the kind of the running joke that Crystal will fail at everything she does. Go back and watch this, everyone jumping down the slip and slide and watch Crystal completely fail to navigate the slip and slide as she falls on her back and then goes down very awkwardly. It's very funny. Everyone else immediately dives down as you're supposed to do. Crystal cannot handle that. I also like a Jeff Probst theory of why you might be struggling with getting the answer to the puzzles. That, but there might be you might be reading a misplaced comma in that math in that word problem. You might not know what a preposition is and you put it in the wrong place. Uh, I also love speaking of like slides down. I know Crystal's a great one. I loved Maddie's too. It's not yeah. his turkey lap, but his like giggle that they picked up as he's sliding down in pure glee like a penguin is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that'll be a running gag through the season that Maddie's got the most bizarre laugh or just sounds in general. And like Mike pointed out, this is the first instance of it where he's going down the challenge and Jeff says something about Maddie knows how to do it. And 
I can't possibly do it justice, but it's like, ah! <laughs> it's his, his stupid little laugh. It's Maddie will do much better laughs down the road, but it's, yeah, it's just, he's like a, a greased penguin going down the slide. All right. So yeah. So yeah, Bob and Ken, Kenny get to the end. They have do the puzzle and Bob is out to a big lead and then Kenny catches up and Kenny pulls off with heroics. And this is the second Fong win in a row. He pulls out the ax. He Puts up the flag for Fong to win, and just like that, Fong has won their first immunity. And another Jeff Crystal moment that I got to point out here. Jeff says, "Like, hey, Fong, you're gonna miss me at Tribal Council," and Crystal just deadpans. Jeff, you got to get to know them a little bit better. Yeah. Speaking of Jeff moments, there's another one at the start of this challenge where Crystal or uh, Sugar comes back from Exile Island, and Jeff's like, uh, "So, how'd you like your trip to Exile?" And she kind of looks at him and gives this little pouty lip, like, "How dare you send me there?" And he's like, "I didn't send you there. I didn't do it." It's kind of a funny little moment. All right, so uh, we go back to Coda after the challenge. They're going to Tribal Council tonight, and uh, this is where Sugar fakes everyone. She's like, "I was too dumb to find the idol. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know how Survivor works. I'm just a pinup model." And so she only goes to tell Ace. She's like, "You know, I found the idol." And Ace is like, "This is ours. We will use this at the proper strategic time to take down Silicon Valley or something like that." Yeah, and so Ace says, yeah, Paloma's going to go tonight. And he goes around and tells everyone, because he's Ace, he's like, yeah, Paloma's gone, Paloma's gone. Okay, and they're like, all right, Paloma. And then we cut to Paloma for a confessional, and she's fucking floating again in midair, <laughs> that same confessional, just sitting there hovering like uh, some uh, one of those in, uh, mystic, the guys that float, the, the guys from India. And this is yeah. where Paloma tries to turn the vote against Ace, and it's not going to work too well. I always love this interaction with her and Corinne because Paloma, just the way she's, like, talking, the way she's dressed, the way she's, like, she's much shorter than Corinne. She's, like, down on a hill. It just seems like a little kid talking to, like, a teacher or, like, a mom because Corinne's, like, dressed up in this business suit, and she's kind of looking down at Paloma, and Paloma's just kind of squeaking along, trying to plead her case, and Corinne's just kind of, like, nodding, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I've always thought this interaction was super, like, super bizarre. Yeah, Corinne is actually kind of on the get-rid-of-Ace bandwagon here, because she's kind of like, well, you know, I can't stand Ace, I don't think his accent is real, I think he's making this up, I don't buy him for a second, she's like, we could take Ace out now, I mean, he's dangerous, we can get rid of Paloma later, so... It's like this get rid of Ace uh, momentum isn't just on Paloma's side. It's not going to culminate in anything, but there is some uh, rumbling already that he's maybe not all that he's cracked up to be. I'm really glad that they had that scene, though, where Paloma was trying to at least convince Corinne to vote out Ace because, like, the start of it, Paloma was just basically like, yeah, I need to get rid of Ace. I talked to Kelly about it, and we both agree we're going to vote out Ace. And I'm like, <laughs> we got all <it>. right. <laughs> As you know, the power couple of Coda has determined that Ace will be going. Join us, won't you? Yeah, I do remember when Paloma and Kelly took over Gabon and made the narrative all about them. You know, and then that's the whole thing. Like, like after Paloma goes home, like, Kelly's going to have some confessional where she's basically like, well, you know, I really only talked to Paloma. I'm like, what are you guys doing out there? Like, honestly. <laughs> no, Kelly's coming out moment is in this tribal council, so make sure I get to discuss that once we get there. Yeah, I'm not skipping okay. tribal council. I'm just saying, yeah, so Paloma is, is you know, she talked to Kelly about it, and they, 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 they said that Ace had to go, and then she, you know, talked to Corinne a little bit, and now we're at tribal council. All right, there's a great foreshadowing shot here, which only becomes amusing when you know what comes later in the season, where we get to tribal council, and, and Sugar is talking about how she went to exile, and she, you know, it was so emotional for her because her father just died, and she starts tearing up talking about her father. And we cut to Corinne, who immediately rolls her eyes. That may come back later. <laughs> that yeah, that may come play up. Out that, later that, on. that might come up, yes. Just a bit. 
Yes, but no, my, my favorite interaction is this. So as I said at the beginning of the podcast, so my friend has Kelly in her pool, and I'm always trying to, like, talk my friend up. Like, she's more of a casual f- fan of Survivor. So I'm like, oh, no, she's doing fine. She's great. Like, you know, they haven't shown a lot of her. That could be good for her. And then comes this tribal council and this interaction between Jeff and Kelly. Jeff asks, they're talking about Ace, and Jeff asks, Kelly, do you think Ace is an asset to your tribe? Kelly responds, um, in some cases, because he's almost condescending in a way. Jeff asks further, how is condescending a good thing? Kelly says, it's not a good thing at all sometimes. <laughs> it's the opposite of pro-descending. Boy, boy you, are, you are really making an Ashby line case there. You, uh, you really are. I just but, love yeah. the thing of, it's not a good thing at all sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I have a joke with my friend about being condescending that we call each other condescending and say, actually, that's not a good thing sometimes at all. Ace lies a lot, but he also tells the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, she's, she's being ambivalent in her, in her, uh, yeah, it's just bad. It was like, she didn't know what condescending meant. <laughs> and she hasn't even gone to talking about monkeys chewing people's faces off or whatever she does when GC leaves. Right, yeah. The monkeys that eat, that eat GC in a couple episodes. <laughs> All right, so here's another good interaction. This chock full of little weird character interactions in this one where Probes notices that Paloma and Ace may not get along all that well. And he says, you guys seem to be fighting a lot. and Maybe you guys could be brother and sister in another life. And Paloma says, oh, yeah, that could happen maybe when I'm dead. <laughs> she says, in another world a thousand years from now, when I'm dead, which doesn't make a lot of lo- It doesn't make a lot of logical sense. I don't know if I put a comma somewhere where I shouldn't have, but like – I don't, I don't know if being dead like determines your relationship or not with somebody else. Yeah. That's when you drop the mic and then you have to go kind of sheepishly pick it up again because you're not actually done. You have to add more to the story. Yeah, so anyway, Paloma is voted out here. <laughs> the, the survivor legend Paloma. And uh, Paloma voted for Ace on her way out. Her, her friend Kelly votes for Ace on the way out, which will not go over so well. And uh, that's about it for Paloma. She does have she does have interesting final words where she makes a promise to the watchers of Survivor that if Ace takes home the million dollar check, she will no longer watch the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so that means she's still watching the show. So thank God. I for will that. not watch it on my floating television. <laughs> now, what, I, I'm kind of confused about this. Did Pal- was Paloma on the ballot for second chances later? Or am I getting her mixed up with somebody? She, she was, was not. one spot away. <laughs> She was not. She was not. Okay. For some reason, I no. thought she was. And I was going to make fun of it. So, uh, never mind. She was not. No. All right. So that's the end of that's the end of Paloma. Although we know she still watches Survivor because Ace has yet to cash his million dollar check. I although believe, he has taken over that, Fort Knox. I don't believe that any uh, Gaboner was on uh, uh, the second chance ballot. Were they? I think Crystal might have been in contention, but I feel like that might have quickly been dropped once the you know once they got closer to the final list. <laughs> Crystal failed the contention process. All right, so we're going to go into the next episode, episode three, which, wow, we, we this might be all we get through in this podcast. But okay, episode three, this is the twist episode. This is, and again, this, the, if you're looking at this thing that Randy has goes on the streak where he never loses a challenge, well, that's why, because we're about to have a twist, and he's going to end up on, on code up. So uh, we go to episode three, and at the beginning of the episode, of course, <laughs> I love this. Fong has just won the last two challenges. I mean, 
they weren't like dominant wins, but they were both, you know, legitimate wins. They defeated Coda in two legitimate contests of skill back to back. And we start episode three. And what does Probes talk about in his narration? Fong is the worst tribe ever. <laughs> because even though they won two challenges, they were flukes. They were terrible. It was a it was a joke. <laughs> like it's like, would you lay off? Jeez. He's just going on and on about how terrible Fong is when Fong has all the momentum at the moment. So I don't even know what he's talking about. But yeah, it's just something that made me laugh. Did that jump out at you guys as well? Uh, yes, Mario. It jumped out at me. <laughs> Would you guys keep up? I'm trying to do a podcast here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just I'm eating my rice. You know, I got to have it five times a day. <laughs> Eat your rice. All right. So anyway, yeah. So Probes is still harping on Fong being terrible. And uh, and what's happened here? So Kelly is pretty much all alone on Coda now. She's the only one that voted against Ace last night. Ace is still running the show. She's screwed. And uh, yeah, Kelly's pretty much the next one to be going. And uh, Ace even says, yeah, Kelly will be the next lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> Kelly, you will face my wrath, Kelly, Mr. Bond. You know, and it's it's like, you know, it's that whole old school thing where Ace was basically like, well, Kelly voted for me, so she's got to go. And, you know, Kelly was just basically like, well, Paloma got voted out, and I only really talked to her, so... <laughs> I guess I'm in trouble all the time sometimes now. <laughs> almost condescending how lucky i am right now <laughs> so you know i need to look across the tribe and figure out how to you know <laughs> I, th- I think we stumbled upon how a lot of the gabon cows apparently just has problems with grasping the english language <laughs> like i just don't get it like she's just you know and she's just sitting there like well you know i only talked to Paloma and she's voted out so and i mean she doesn't say like "Welp, i'm screwed but she's just like you know, maybe maybe talk to someone else, Kelly. I'm just yeah, just throwing it out there. Maybe you know. You know, guys, if Ace wins, I'm not going to watch this show anymore. <laughs> All right, so we go over to Fong. Fong is still complaining a little bit about eating too much rice. I think they're officially out of rice now. It's episode three. Well, they're, like they're, they're they're less they're less than half. Like Randy's just basically, like, we have yeah. less than half the rice, and like GC's just basically like, I like rice. <laughs> and. Yeah, and this is interesting as well, because, I mean, this is all going to kind of get blown to smithereens a bit once we actually transition into the twist, but for a second, it looks like there's going to be a coup against this, like, really strong trinity of GC, Crystal, and Kenny, and essentially, Randy's going to kind of rile everyone else together to say, wow, they're annoying, let's join up and vote them out. Right. So, like, we get this, you know, there's, like, this glimmer of hope at Fong, where, like, they solidified, and Randy's like, you know, yeah, we've got Dan, we've got me, we've got Maddie, we've got Susie. We're going to take this game over. All right. Next scene. Yep. And, you know, Randy and Susie will be best of friends throughout the rest of the season. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we did have this Fong alliance. It would have happened. But now we got a twist. And, uh, yeah, so this all you, this is all irrelevant, so you can forget it. But there was a moment here when the season could have gone a little differently. All right. Off to the twist. I we like this. The... I like this, yeah. by the way. Like yeah. it, it didn't play out totally how they wanted it to blow, but I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, for people who don't remember, this is one where uh, you have to fill out this little card. They give all the players, say, uh, rank your members of your tribe in importance, from most important to least important. And you have to do it in private. You can't collaborate. So everyone goes off and fills out these little cards. And and when Jeff tallies the results, he actually makes them stand on these little ascending platforms. So you have a visual of who the most important people in each tribe are. It's kind of cool. Right. So on if you're code on the left, you have number one, which is the, the person you most value in your tribe all the way down to number eight, who is the whiny little cow. 
and that's how it's ranked from leader best person to whiny little cow. Yes. So how so how it goes on Coda is that they rank Marcus as their most important, and then it goes Ace, and then I believe Bob, mm-hmm. yes. uh, Charlie, Jackie, Corinne, Sugar, and Kelly. Way to go, men at front, women following. Do you think Do you think Charlie stuffed the ballot box? <laughs> Charlie voted eight times for Mark. It's like all-star balloting in baseball. So, so then on the on the slightly uh, less in numbers Fong tribe, they rank Maddie as their most important person. Ah. And, it, <laughs> and then it's Dan, Randy, and then we have Crystal, Ken, G Sizzle, and Susie. But uh, yeah. Susie doesn't care. She says at some point, eh, it doesn't matter. It's a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a game. Uh, and, okay. and Crystal is not happy about not being in the top three. Yeah, she's behind Randy. She doesn't like that. And then GC is also mad that he's stuck behind Ken. So there's a little dissension. People thinking they're a little more important to the tribe than they probably are, which is funny that in GC's case that he thinks, <laughs> I'm the leader and I quit. I should be in the top five. But I like this be- I like this twist because I, I like the, you know, because this, this, is, this is like, it's not the same, but it, it's sort of what the coconut chop challenge should do, right? Like it, it should point out like alliances and, and not just alliances, but just people's feelings toward each other. And what I did love about it was that he, they put them on these ascending pedestals and then Jeff just asked them all about it, which I thought was good. Like they didn't just mm-hmm. put them up on the pedestal and Jeff's just like, Hey, you're five. What do you think about five? Yeah. Now what if Paloma was in the game, would she stand on a pedestal or would she just float next to them? <laughs> just float. <laughs> now, I, no, I completely agree I'm with you, Jay. I really do like this twist because I like the idea of like, we're about to do another schoolyard pick them, but unlike something like survivor Micronesia, where it's just like, Hey, pick someone from the opposite tribe. Now at least the tribes are getting a little bit of information about what the other tribe looks like, even though Randy's going to say, like, ah, I didn't learn anything about Coda. Now you see literally who's the most valuable on the tribe. And so, like, when Maddie and Marcus start making these picks, they can say, okay, I'm going to take the number twos because it's very clear that these are the most valuable and they'll work well on my tribe too. You know, what I was actually most surprised when I was watching the scene was that Dan was actually standing on his platform. You think he'd be, like, under the platform or in the platform, near... I was impressed that they actually had maybe stopped the footage and moved him to where he should be. Okay, yeah, and then this is where the quote Paul alluded to it earlier. If you haven't watched the episode, here it is where Ace says, you know, the bottom of her tribe, Kelly. He says, Kelly is a whiny little cow and you don't do anything. So wonderful quote from our Bond villain there. <clears throat> but yeah, so here we go. We're going to pick new tribes and it's all based on what you just learned about the other tribes. So it's, it's a wonderful way of Jeff just screwing everybody. Here we go. Now you know who's valuable. Time to pick new tribes. So he takes the two most important, according to their tribes, which is our uh, Marcus on Coda and Maddie uh, on Fong. And they get to start and they start picking. So, of uh, of course, who is, who is the first pick? Marcus picks Dan, mm-hmm. who was the number two on Fong. And then Maddie, of course, takes, well, I'll take Ace, the number two on Coda. And this is where we go. And then Dan takes Charlie. He's back with Marcus. And then Ace takes Crystal. And then Charlie takes Randy, Crystal takes Jackie, and so on and so on. And then you end up with a Coda tribe of Marcus, Dan, Charlie, Randy, Corinne, Susie, and Bob. Bob is last picked, by the way. For some reason, all throughout this process, nobody wants GC, and then nobody wants Bob, who was the second or third most important on Coda. It's a little ageism going on there. Bob is the last pick. Fong tribe ends up with Maddie, Ace, Crystal, Jackie, Ken, Kelly, and GC. And uh, I should point out that when uh, Ken picks Kelly, he says, well, she was the last pick. I want her in my tribe. And she's hot. So 
Ken's got his hot girl back, so that's good. Well, something brief about Bob, though, because I do agree that, uh, you know, Jeff even makes it prevalent of, like, Bob, you were ranked third and you haven't been picked yet. You're sort of a diamond in the rough in that regard, sort of adding to that, like, slowly building winners at it that Paul's talking about. But there is some strategy involved in that because it, when it gets to the, Kel- the pick that ends up being Kelly, you know, Ken's talking with Maddie because he's the next to pick. And they say initially, Maddie's like, okay, let's pick Bob. I think he's going for more so tribe strength. But then Kenny thinks if we do that, you know, there's a chance that Bob would then stick with Ace and Jackie. He wants to pick somebody that he could easily bring over to his side. So that's why he picks Kelly. Again, it's a Fong's decision of let's let's not really, you know, value challenge trade. Let's go more so with somebody that we can work with internally. But there is validity from Kenny's perspective as to why he decides to not pick Bob. Yeah. No, Kenny's a smart guy. He He's trying to figure out this game. He just doesn't have a lot to work with. That's kind of his which, problem which, here. Which, which I totally agree with that move. Like, they, they, they don't execute it, but I agree with the thought. But anyway, they do the pick 'em, and, and we've 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 announced the new the new Fong and the new Coda tribes. And Sugar is the odd person out. She wasn't picked evenly by either Fong or Coda, so she's left. So she's like, "What happens?" And Jeff's like, "Guess what? You go to Exile Island." And basically, it's going to be one of those things where she's going to be on Exile Island until the next immunity challenge, and she's going to join the tribe of whoever loses and votes that person out. So then yep. the tribes will remain even. But she gets to go. But since Sugar has, you know gotten the idol she gets to choose comfort yep yeah this is a neat little scene again we'll hear a lot about this as the season goes along that sugar goes to back to exile island she has a little dance as she's walking down because she already has the idol she doesn't care she's like i'll just pick comfort this time and sure enough she goes in there and there's a nice little hammock she's got shelter over her she can go swimming there's a big basket of fruit and it is funny how much more food sugar's gonna eat than anybody else in the game the rest of the season because she keeps going back and getting a fruit basket every three days (laughs) Okay, so let's go to Coda here. Coda is now made up of four original Codas, which is basically the Onion Alliance minus Jackie, and then three Fongs. And who are the three Fongs? We got basically, it's basically It's basically the majority Fong Alliance minus Maddie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Randy and... Uh, Brandon and Dan. No, Randy, Susie, and Dan. Randy, Susie. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Randy, okay. Susie, Dan. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So Randy basically gives a great confessional now. Well, you know, if they vote me out, I'm just burning this place down. <laughs> Classic Randy. All right. And, uh, yeah, so Susie will have to work hard to fit in. Randy will have to work hard to fit in. And uh, I'm trying to think. So we go over to Fong. We have Ace showing his new tribe where to get ginger for their rice, even though he's like, even though you guys have no rice anymore, here's the ginger. Welcome to Fong. We're going to eat six times a day, so I hope you're hungry. (laughs) Here's your menu. Please fill it out in the morning. We'll get your dessert. And then uh, on Fong, this is where Kelly starts slamming everybody. Like, those codas never included me. I hate Jackie. I hate Ace. I'm totally <laughs> with you guys now. So this is going to go over well. So It's like you have, like, Jackie and Kelly next to each other. Like, Jackie's saying everything you're kind of supposed to say in an open forum like this. Like, Jackie, yeah, we were all really close. And don't you think, Kelly? Kelly just, no. <laughs> and also, yeah. Kelly, I mean, again, she works for a high-end retail in Chicago. And she shows her skills by saying, you know, I'm I'm a salesperson. I can analyze personalities. I can get along with everyone's personalities. I can even change personalities. <laughs> right. But and she says this right after the, she's talking about um about she's telling them what it was like over on the Coda tribe, and she's saying that they were so fake over there. No one would talk to her, and like Jackie just so fake this. And then she talks about how she can change her personality because she's a saleswoman. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm so real, I can change my personality. Sometimes. The whole thing was very condescending. <laughs> so anyway, but although Kelly does say something important here on the New Fong tribe where she points out, she says, uh, you know, Ace... Ace has those women in his pocket. He's got Jackie. He's got Sugar. They're a threesome. So this is going to come back later to bite Jackie in the butt because Kelly sells her out here. So that's kind of the thing. And then they point out, oh, is it is it uh, Crystal that says, oh, Ace is pimping. He's got two girls. He's a pimp daddy. You yeah. know, and then we also glossed over Kelly's great impers- uh, impression of a Jackie. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we sure that wasn't just Jackie? I- I'm still not sure that they're not the same person. <laughs> I know. When they start impersonating each other, I'm like, now they're just fucking with my head. I don't know what to do. Now. It's like Inception, Jackception. Now, when they're effing with, was it with your head, on your head, behind your head? They're messing on my head. Yeah, it's like done on my head. It was almost condescending, but in a bad way. At all. Sometimes. Sometimes. All right, and so this is where Ken. We get a confession with Ken. And again, I'd completely forgotten that Ken was such a major character in some of these episodes where Ken says, you know, I'm so happy. I picked Kelly. She's my trump card, and it's amazing. She's going to join with us. And she's hot. It's like, dude. Yeah, yeah I'm, again, I'm watching this with my wife, and my wife just kind of looked up. She's like, has Kenny ever, ever even seen a girl before? <laughs> what the hell? That's, every single confessional will be Ken pointing out how hot his alliance partner is. All right, so we get tree mail here. This is going to be the first challenge after the twist, the immunity challenge here. And uh, this is the one with the lacrosse sticks, where they get these little lacrosse things to practice with. And uh, it's basically water polo meets lacrosse. And uh, right before the cool, by the way. This is is a neat challenge. Yeah, Yeah, this is one of the uh, trademark Gabon ones you remember when you think about the season. Granted, only like five people are actually good at the challenge, but it's still a fun challenge. Yeah. It's so cool. And I hate the the tribes for making this like the worst challenge outcome ever. Because yeah. then they're like, well, we'll never do that again. And it's like, damn you, it was so good. Wouldn't you have love to see this in like All-Stars, like Boston Rob against Ethan and them fighting it out out there? That would have been pretty cool. All right, so yeah, so before the challenge, Marcus wonders, he goes, you know, we got Randy and Susie, these old people on our tribe. I just want to see if they can handle a challenge like this. And we're going to go dot, dot, dot. And this is kind of going to be this little side side uh, sub sub story about Randy is going to start being a challenge dominator. And there's a right. fun there's a fun thing with Randy here as well, where you sort of alluded to it before with like him talking about burning down the camp. And Randy's such a fun character in that he is so dry and deadpan the entire time. You never know if he's serious or not. And we have a moment here where he tells everyone at uh, the new coda, like, you know, I'll do my best despite hating each and every one of you. And they all laugh uproariously like, that's our Randy. But for all we know, he could hate every one of their guts. Yeah, it's like Sandra. Somehow Randy has the same thing that Sandra says, where she could curse you out and call you a motherfucker. And you're like, oh, that's Sandra. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So they get to the challenge. Do I, do I describe the challenge now? Go for it. Yeah. So it's basically, like they said, it's like a lacrosse meets water polo meets bumper boats kind of uh, deal where it's a course that is uh, hemmed in, in on the water and there are goals on each side. So it's the water polo sort of setup where you've got the goals on each side and everyone is in like a little like think of like a little inner tube boat. So like it's an inner tube or a ring and they, they, there's a bottom to it. So they're in a boat. And their little lacrosse stick, it's not like a net, it's more like an oar, but it's got kind of, you know, uh, grooves in it or or slots that can pass water through it. So it's like a a lacrosse oar, a cross stick slash oar that you can use to paddle your boat. And they're they're on their own sides, obviously, as it goes, and, you know, they do positions how they see fit. And basically, Probst is going to throw the the ball into the water, 
And then it's just basically score, you know, paddle to the paddle to the ball, dribble it or, you know, pass it around. And you, know, you got to use your your oar to shoot and, and get the ball in the net. And the first tribe to three wins and Coda stomps them. But it's a really interesting challenge. I don't yeah. know why. But the problem is, is that like everyone on Fong can't paddle or swim or <laughs> do anything. And so it literally just becomes just this weird challenge where Marcus is able to paddle up to the ball, control the ball. And then Randy just streaks down the other side and cherry picks the goal. And then Marcus basically flings the ball down towards Randy's direction. Randy picks up the ball and then just, you know, casually tosses it in the net three times. My favorite, is the, my favorite is the final round where Marcus hurls the ball into Fong territory. The ball lands between Kenny and Crystal, but Marcus is able to turn around and paddle to the ball quicker than Kenny getting to the ball in a significantly shorter amount of distance. It's very clear that there are only three people on Fong that can actually figure out how the boats work, so they are vastly outmatched, even though it's really just Randy and Marcus doing all the stuff for Coda. Right. Well, it's, awesome. Like, it's awesome. This is one of the classic examples of Crystal failing at a challenge, yet she might not even be one of the two worst competitors on her own team because Ken and Kelly may be even worse. It's a good point, Mike, especially with Coda, because it's like, you know, not a lot of Coda people do things, but it's like they don't necessarily have to ever because yeah. Fong is so inept, right? It's like Ace can clearly paddle. So Ace is trying to do something. Dan is like de under facto his playing. Yeah, Dan is under his little buoy. <laughs> Hang is. Well, Dan is hanging forward, trying to play goalie. Wait, back? I don't know. He's somewhere, but he, Dan is sort of relegated to try to play, be the goalies, or no, Maddie is. And then Dan is just sort of out there. So it's like Dan and, and, and Maddie are, are there, but it's like, you know, Crystal's not moving. And Kenny is also not moving. And Kelly is, is sort of not really moving. And GC is like hugging the side. Like, <laughs> he's not only is, he, is GC not paddling, he's literally like clinging to the side boundary, like way over where the ball is. And it's like, I don't know how many Coda people can paddle, but it's like Marcus gets to the ball and Randy streaks down. It's like they basically outmaneuver the entire rest of the Fong tribe. I always felt bad her for whoever the Coda goal kinder was. You might as well have been sitting out of the challenge because there was nowhere, no ball anywhere near their goal. I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that they had two goalkeepers. I'm pretty sure that Dan and Bob both hung back because they're like, well, we don't need to <laughs> oh, yeah. do anything. Sorry, yeah. Dan's in the goal. Dan doesn't get how the goal works. <laughs> All right, I need to be in the goal, so clearly I need to be on the field across the way there. <laughs> Dan's, a, Dan's on dry land. He doesn't get it. <laughs> Well, Dan. Well, Dan does. Is it Dan that makes the appearance, like in the final one, where he like dives after the ball real quick? Yeah, he does. He make tips it over. Yeah, he does. He yeah. yeah, he ends up falling out, or I guess he falls inside the boat uh, and ends up underwater <laughs> and can't get back in the boat. Right. You know, and you can't control anything. So like, Maddie's hanging back, and in, in, in you know, Maddie would have probably been okay going forward, but Maddie tries to hang back because basically on the first goal they do the thing where like Maddie and, and Ace try to run forward, but Marcus gets control of the ball right away, and then flings the ball all the way to the end where Randy is, and Randy's just basically by himself in the goal, so he just sort of yeah. flings at the goal. So then they're basically like, well, one of us has got to be a goalie. So they, they elect Maddie to go back and be goalie, which I guess is all well and good that you have a goalie, but now basically it's just Ace that can paddle the boat. Ace doesn't even paddle the boat, though. Ace kind of breaks the challenge of being like, well, I can, I can swim, and then I'll just, when I get there, I'll use the paddle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for those who just who just want the actual results of the challenge, basically Randy scores for Coda, Randy scores for Coda, Randy scores for Coda, and that's the challenge. It's not close at all. 
it's not close. And I mean, Jeff was just like, oh, it's the most lopsided thing. And you can just tell me, he's like, we're never going to do that again. And it's like, ah, oh, it's so lame. It was such a cool challenge. Yeah. Oh, well. So, oh. yeah, Fong sucks. They lose. It's terrible. And Ace has, what's his confessional? That we were legless chickens. It was like we were legless chickens playing against sleek weasels. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Bond. <laughs> That's great. So, okay. So, Fong has been humiliated yet again. I mean, same tribe name, a new set of people, but still the same crap. They lost, and uh, we go back, and now, you know, GC and all them had this big thing where Kelly was involved. They wanted, uh, they wanted Kelly was going to join them, and now they're like, well, Kelly's worthless. Let's vote Kelly out. She's terrible. Yeah, there's a great Kelly uh, Jackie uh, interaction where they come back, and you know, everyone's kind of putting in their two cents. But oh yeah, that was hard. Blah blah blah. And Jackie says it was hard to play defense in that game. To which Kelly says, "Woulda, coulda, shoulda." And then she pauses. She goes over it, gets up and walks away. <laughs> Just a quote machine, yeah. that Kelly. <laughs> well, and I also love like when they're doing the blame where like GC says, Kenny, you really sucked in that challenge. And I mean, it's GC who like didn't move <laughs> one inch in his boat. Going, boy, Kenny, you were really terrible. It's like, and the thing is, is that Kenny's a, you know, Kenny's a, a an, an esports athlete yeah it's not a physical athlete but like he's a competitor right so like kenny takes this in stride where he's just like yeah i didn't do well right but it's, it's one of those things where like well boy gc I, I don't know if you're quite the person that should call other people out of being bad at this challenge well, and then gc's the one calling out kelly saying kelly has a bad attitude and if gc is saying <laughs> you have a bad attitude you must really suck i don't care yeah. How high retail your store is. To be fair, GC had a bad day. He only had four cups of rice before the <laughs> challenge, so he was a little cranky. <laughs> but this this is typical Fong. Like, this is, you know, when you talk about bad tribes, right? You talk about Oolong, where, like, Oolong couldn't win a challenge. But they come back afterwards, and, yeah, they made bad calls in some of the vote-outs. But, you know, they, they have these things where they're just like, I don't know what to do. What should we do? Blah, blah, blah. And where it's like, you know... You know, Fong's only hope here, like, they're basically like, we need to flip somebody. So they're like, Kelly, we flip Kelly. And, like, they do it successfully, where, like, they talk to Kelly, and Kelly's like, yeah, I don't like those guys. They, I I only talk to Paloma, and, and that's my own fault, but I hate those other guys. They're so fake. I don't like them, and I'm with you guys now. And they're like, cool. Then they get back from the calendar, and they're like, boy, Kelly's got to go. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, basically, this doing? is going to boil down to, do you want to vote out Jackie, or do you want to vote out our new fourth member of our alliance? <laughs> Well, there is this interesting thing where Jackie, so Jackie's going to basically know that, like, her bill of goods is essentially up. So she, and this, I kind of feel bad for Jackie here because I think it's clear that, like, she feels pretty swap screwed at this point. Uh, and so she's really going to try to make the plea to Kenny and Crystal. And Kenny does say, you know, like, uh, hey, you know what? I would vote for you if my vote mattered. I can't tell if that's BS or not. I know that we said before that Kenny's trying to figure out the game as he went along. I don't know if he was trying to, like, kowtow to her to make you feel better or if like you were talking about if he really was contemplating getting rid of kelly i think jackie was just especially good at getting people to sway on her side she was a good speaker i think she might have actually swayed him a little bit i think jackie which i'll say now because you know we'll make the jokes about how insignificant jackie is and what a forgettable character is i think jackie was actually playing the game very very well because she obviously had a solid uh point or, or spot in the onion alliance but you also hear about about how she's sleeping close to Ace, and Ace had a good relationship with her. And when when Sugar comes back uh, in the next episode, she says, "I was so excited to see Ace and Jackie." So I think Jackie did have really good connections. Yeah. It just really sucked for her that they lost right away, and she didn't get a chance to integrate herself. Yeah, I think if anybody else, she's the one that kind of got screwed by Twist in this season. I think she would have done pretty well, and I probably yeah. still couldn't have told her apart from Kelly. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree very much. But yeah, and you could see it, you know, it always sucks when it's like, you know, you're going to go and you've done well and you're like, other people haven't done well and they're going to stay here. But I mean, that's that's how it goes sometimes, you know? Yeah. So there's a, there's one shot here that's kind of famous among the Survivor Internet fan base where, you know, the Fongs are debating, OK, maybe we should vote Kelly out here. And then maybe you want to do Jackie. They're not sure if it's which one they should do. And Crystal kind of mentions, well, you know, Jackie, if if Sugar comes back here with that immunity idol, she's got Jackie and she's got Ace. And that's really dangerous. Like, you know, forget Kelly just being work, worthless and weak. Like, they could be exceptionally dangerous, the three of them together. And there's a shot of the three of them walking off, talking strategy with Crystal in the back and Ken and uh, GC right in front. And from the angle of the shot, it looks like Crystal is literally three times the size of either one of the two guys. And uh, this has been made fun of for years on Survivor, on uh, Survivor message boards like Sucks and stuff. They call it Massive Crystal. And if you watch this scene, just watch for it. Again, there's, there's a whole bunch of memes that have come out of this season in particular. I don't know why. But it's just a weird shot where Crystal is literally three times the size of GC and Ken because of the shooting angle. And it's just really funny to look at. It's interesting, this decision to ultimately get rid of Jackie partly because of this idle paranoia because again it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you know yes if you voted out kelly there's the idea that sugar could use the idol with her allies but if you vote out one of her allies and sugar has the idol there's a greater chance she could use the idol because she feels in danger i I don't exactly know what would be the better option there then yeah and according to ken also you don't want to get rid of jackie because she's hot so there's that yeah, right. I, I I get you, Mike. I, I think that they were uh, not so eloquently, uh, you know, the 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 Ken Crystal and uh, uh, GC Alliance were basically just trying to say that, you know, you'd rather have dissension among the other people there because you know, like if 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 they start to target, it's like you know they're they're basically like, well, if Sugar's got the idol and they're you know Ace is in trouble, she might use it on Ace, and you know if Jackie's in trouble, she might use it on Jackie, but she might not use it on Kelly. But yeah, they they they. You're also right in the sense that they're like, if you limit Sugar's numbers and you start targeting Sugar, then she's for for sure going to use her idol. But either way, I mean, well, you know, al- I, I think already the season already the season starting to revolve around Sugar. Get that. Well, as soon as we have to get rid of Kelly in a couple of tribals, and then it can really be the Sugar show. <laughs> Ironically enough, after Kelly leaves, that's the point where I say Survivor Gabon picks up. Well, there you go condescending but in a fun way well but i think it needs some of the setup like i i agree sometimes. with you that, <laughs> i agree with you sometimes uh but like i think that the 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 first episode or the the two hours you know it was like okay we got rid of jillian and we got rid of michelle and then in the in the last episode we got rid of paloma it's like whatever but i think that i think that this is a necessary stretch this uh this twist in the in the tribe shakeup just because i think it does shake some things loose but you're right mike like it doesn't really pick into gear until i think the double tribal council but it's like i think that the you know this this boot here and the and the next uh and the next boot sort of has to set up what comes next yep all right let's get all this uh exposition out of the way here okay so we go to tribal council jackie does a very good case of pleading her case why they should keep her she actually makes crystal cry and Again, I will give credit where credit's due. I think all of us here think that Jackie was actually a pretty good player. She kind of just got unlucky here. But I also love this tribal council where, like, Kelly then calls out, like, all of the fong, the, the original Fong members, like, on their stuff. And it's just like, you know, they're trying to integrate her into the tribe. 
or in, integrator on their side. Like, you're our new member now. And, and Kelly's like, yeah, because the other people are fake. And then Kelly's like, yeah, you guys aren't so great either. It's like, Kelly, shut up. <laughs> yeah, like when they when they call Kelly out as being like, Kelly, you weren't so good in the challenges. She's like, yeah, but Kenny and Crystal were pretty horrible too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really good idea. Do it to the people yeah. who are bringing you into the fold. Like, just insult I, them. I talked to Paloma, and she doesn't like you guys either. It's a strategy she uses to, you know, sell things. She bragged in the pregame about how, you know, some people might come into the store and they, they might be really thinking they only need a $20 pair of jeans and it's her job to convince them they need a $200 pair of jeans. So that's what she does when they come in. She totally insults them and tells them how cheap they are and then that makes them come around. It's a weird store that sells $200 jeans <laughs> and $20 jeans. Yeah, I, don't like, know if I'm, I don't know if that's high-end retail. Maybe it's like a Dan version of high-end retail. They have a little discount bin in the middle for $20 pair of jeans. Scratched and dented items. All right, so, and this is the end of Jackie. Jackie is voted out, and uh, in her final words, she said, you know, I probably could have won if I'd lasted one or two more episodes, and it's entirely possible she could have. I have more faith in her than someone like Paloma or, ja- or uh, Kelly, so... Who knows? Woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? The end, whatever. or whatever, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That's it. And then Sugar comes back, and Sugar will now join this tribe, because that's what this tribe needs, is a little, little strength from Sugar. She'll turn this boat around. All right, so I guess we'll do one more episode, episode four. Let's, 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 end, let's end the legacy of GC. All right. Let's do it. All right, so episode four. So, previously on Survivor, the fiercest predator in Gabon is the yellow tribe, Coda, who's been devouring Fong. Jeff going for his Emmy right there. He, he's over-narrating his, his previous lines, and he's not even, like, bothering with the tribe names. Like, he's just, and, and this isn't even, like, a, a themed season, like, brains, bronze, beauty, right. blah, blah, blah. It's just, the yellow tribe, yeah, and red. He's just lazy. <laughs> and he, like, and he subs up the whole move to get rid of Jackie as... They, um, or no, yeah, yeah, they acted death like wish. they wanted a death wish. Yeah, so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There's a word for word I wrote it down. At Tribal Council, Fong acted as if they had a death wish, picking Kelly over Jackie. <laughs> well, I'm still not <sighs> sure if they're the same person. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, he's just really, he just such, he has such a hate boner for Fong, it's weird. And weaken their tribe yet again. But it's All right, okay, because so, they're going to get visited by an elephant, so, you know. Yeah. All right, so we're on Fong here, and Ace is kind of on his own now until Sugar gets here. He needs his, you know, a photographer needs his fashion model. And uh, Sugar gets here and finally shows up on Fong, and she's surprised to see Kelly here and not Jackie, as we all were. And small, again, moment of Sugar with the narrative. Think about how many times she mentions the Sugar Shack this episode, and not necessarily to herself, but to everyone on Fong and everyone on Coda as well at the challenge. That's the mark of somebody who like wants you to remember a brand. It's super weird to think about, but like she mentions the Sugar Shack so many times. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. If you, if you start watching for Sugar doing this, it's amazing how casually she just slips stuff like that into the narrative. Oh, it's just the Sugar Shack. That's, that's what we're calling it now. All right. So, uh, yeah, and everyone on Fong thinks that Sugar has the idol because she's been to exile twice now, twice or three times. I think only twice at this point. But Sugar denies it. She's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm dumb. I, I couldn't find it. There's no, I'm just a caveman. So she does that. <laughs> Unfrozen caveman pinup model. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's the spinoff. So we go back to Coda and there's a neat little scene where Bob, for some reason, has managed to catch an electrical fish, which is all right. Good job, Bob. 
Yeah, so they're all they're all playing with this little fish that Bob has caught where it you touch it and it electrifies you. And apparently I was doing some research on Gabon right before this podcast that that's not that uncommon. There's actually a lot of electrical fish in that area and I don't know why, but they it's just a thing. It's that's what they have around there. Yeah. Nature, 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 nature's scary. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. We're to the point of the podcast where Jay's just sighing now. Okay. All right. So, yeah, Randy is talking about how he loves it here on Coda. It's so much better. Everyone knows what they're doing. They, they, the new people have fit in here. It's great. And, uh, and Randy just keeps mentioning, I plan to adapt. This crusty old man can do it. We're going to see this a lot over the next couple episodes. And again, this is something I had forgotten that Randy's starting to get a hell of a winner's at it. Have you noticed that? He just keeps talking. I'm going to adapt. I'm going to adapt. I can do this. I'm good at challenges, like, and all the things. Well, I don't think Randy can do it. And then Randy will do it. That's amazing. So Randy's actually is getting a hell of a underdog edit here. It's not really the villain yet. He's, it's his villain stuff's going to come later. He's like this crusty old, almost like Rudy in a way at this point. Like he, he's going to pull this off. Watch it. Uh, it is interesting because I mean, we were talking about his sort of you know bristly nature back at Old Fong, but that's one of those edits where it's like. He's like the sole voice of reason in the tribe of lunatics, sort of like what yeah. Aris got in Survivor Exile Island. So, again, it, we're results-oriented. We know it's going to eventually befall Randy, but I could see an argument for it at this point in time. Yeah, I wouldn't call it necessarily a winner's edit, but, you know, if I were looking at it, I'd say he, 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 he's got legs in this game. Like, yeah. he's, he's going to be around or, and or going to be important. He's the only person other than I'm trying to think who else might be getting a big end game edit, but he's the only one with an obvious end game edit. Oops, I hit my mic. Well, and I think in the similar fashion that I talked about how you really saw how the Onion Alliance came to form step by step, you really see how Randy becomes a part of Coda. I think he says at some point in this episode that he's now Coda Yellow till the end. And you see how he gets that. You see his approach to how he integrates with them. And then a little bit later on, we see Susie versus Dan. So I, I think that they really do some good storytelling here about how Randy switches over to be with, with that Coda Yellow. The Yellow Tribe, sorry. We're not calling him by their tribe names. The, pre- the big predator. Uh, but that predator. that's a great point, though, because a lot of people remember the Onion Alliance as, okay, Charlie, Marcus, Corinne, and Randy. I mean, nobody really remembers Jackie, and people think, oh yeah, Randy was with the Codas from the beginning, but no, Randy had this whole entire life on Fong for about 10 days before he came over, and so it's good to remember that, and like you said, Paul, how he's able to ingratiate himself, and how he's essentially going to say, screw these people on Fong, I'm moving forward with these guys throughout. It's a really cohesive narrative of him growing resentful of the people that he's with, and that causes him to immediately jump ship at the first opportunity. Yeah. And again, I'll, again, I always say this, I give credit where credit's due. He, he does a lot of the little stuff that makes you good at Survivor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he does. And, and we're talking about, you know, Paul's bringing up these points where, like, they're, you're showing the, the genesis of the Onion Alliance, you know, how it was formed, the, the thought process behind it, and all these sorts of things. And it's, it's storytelling like that, like, that I miss from more future seasons, just, just because, you know, you're so just invested in you know where's the numbers how are we going to vote split which i get are you know legitimate things but it's like it's it's very beautiful storytelling a lot of this here yeah and speaking of beautiful storytelling let's go to a really cool nature scene who wants to see the elephant (laughs) yes i wonder if something will come out of it all right so we're back to fong and maddie for some reason we already had an earlier scene in episode one where maddie was interested in going to see an elephant and now he finally sees an elephant there's one just crashing around in the brush outside the fong camp and maddie is all excited so he goes and tells everyone hey guys there's an elephant outside our camp let's go look so they all go out there and 
and there's this bizarre shot. I've one of these shots that always stands out at me of Maddie seeing the elephant for the first time with all his tribe behind him, and his face just crumples into this weird smile. <laughs> it's Maddie is such an odd person. Yes, well, it's gonna be the same smile from the 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 huge gift that I'm sure we're gonna mention yep. in a couple of episodes in response to Marcus being voted out. I mean, Maddie's that's just the way Maddie smiles. It's extremely toothy, extremely <laughs> toothy. So much so that you see like the back of his molars because his cheek was widened out so much. But yeah, I mean, this is. I don't know if I if I'd compare it to like one of the scenes in Survivor Australia where they're just sort of like sitting around the campfire not saying anything, but it's one of these sort of like slice of life scenes where even Maddie sort of alludes to it. Like they dropped the pretenses of the game. It didn't matter who was with who and who was pissed off at who. They just sat there and stared in majesty at the fact that this amazing creature is like ten feet away from them and they're in the middle of the jungle. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's again it has nothing to do with the game. It goes on for a good four or five minutes it's a pretty long scene and nothing happens other than just human beings trapped out in africa interacting with an elephant kind of like again like frank with the elephant scene that he has in africa he's waving his tail and stuff and and then there's one scene where ace and maddie even say we're gonna get a little closer to it and everyone else is like no don't do it and gc's like see if he wants some rice and uh they go over there yeah so they get in a kayak and they go closer to it it's actually kind of dangerous i think it's crystal or ace someone says this is how people get hurt like kayaking up to an elephant that you should that you don't, you don't even know but again it's just a really neat old school scene that has nothing to do with anything other than just people interacting with an elephant and the only thing i could think of when i was watching the scene was like if this would be like season 26 or 27 that tusk would have fucking been an idle clue and they would have had to go grab the tusk off the elephant or something so it was nice they didn't have to do that Maddie's speech, even though I did, um, I do agree with the with the premise of it. You know, I I think that you know he does make some good points. It sort of got into the, you know, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure there, where he's just like, <laughs> you know, seeing that elephant today, it made you feel big, but you know, little, but big. <laughs> you know, his, his computers sent him as high school football rules, and you're just like, okay, all right, okay, bigger yet smaller, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, no, it's it's a neat scene. Again, it's something that really stands out when you watch the season. Like, you don't see a lot of s- scenes like that in seasons after this. Other than Coach with his 20-minute monologue on Exile Island, which I'm dying to talk about. I don't know about you guys, but to me, this episode, episode four, or yet the fifth hour of uh, Survivor Gabon, uh, the challenges, both the reward and the immunity challenge in this in this episode, I think are, like, super awesome. I don't know yeah. why. Totally Gabon-centric, yeah, too, and they're not recycled. And that's the thing is that, like, this isn't anything that's, like, extremely, I wouldn't say nouveau, but it's not, like, a hugely amazing concept. This reward challenge, hey, throw a bunch of fruit through holes in a, in a gate and then see who collects the most fruit. That's, like, something you could play with, like, water balloons at your company picnic. But it's just, it's something different from what we usually see. And I think that's the really fun part of it. And then you have people changing up the strategy in the middle of it. And also... For as much, you know, Fong sucking as what happened in the water in the previous challenge, Fong's not going to do, they're not going to win, but they're going to do pretty well for themselves in the next two challenges this episode. The worst tribe ever totally choked on a close challenge. So at the reward challenge they get there, this is like pre-Fruit Ninja. So, you know, basically the there's going to be people and there's like a big old basket of fruit and they have to throw the th- the fruit through two holes that are you know about 8 to 10 feet or so off the ground and then someone in in the, has to catch the fruit in in the one after the one hole and then they have to throw it through the second hole to the person who if they catch it they get to drop it in their basket and basically you know if you successfully throw the 
piece of fruit through the two holes and they're caught and you put it in the basket, you have to weigh your basket of, of successful relay caught fruit at the end. And whichever tribe has the most amount of fruit in their basket or the sorry, the most weight of fruit in their basket at the end of the challenge wins. And Mario, what do they win? Oh, this is fun. Yeah, so the win winner of this challenge wins, and Jeff has this big old like a uh, Price is Right reveal. He pulls aside the blanket. It's a herb garden, and it's hilarious for two reasons. The first is there's this audible noise of everybody being extremely disappointed at the stupid reward, where he goes an herb garden. You hear this. Oh, like it's the saddest noise, except for Bob on the Codas, who for some reason decides he's going to make a very sexual pelvic thrust and is showing his excitement for this herb garden, which on the Funny 115, I referred to it as the Gaboner. And it's so out of character for Bob. And it's just uh, just unintentional comedy galore in the scene. Combine that. Oh, with Bob so excited that he does a little sex thrust. Between this and, like, the hand signals he did in the first or the second immunity challenge, I think we need, like, a new segment called, like, the B-roll or the Bob roll, where we're just noticing, like, all these little weird things that Bob does in the background that nobody picks up on initially. Yeah, yeah, the, in the, the I'm known as B-sizzle. <laughs> the pelvic thrust is, like, icing on the cake. Like, it's, it's, it's already awesome enough that, like, everybody is disappointed and Bob's just like, yeah! <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's what I want. Uh. It's great, yeah. And it's, well, there's also a little uh, visual reaction right at the start of the challenge when the Codas see that Fong voted out Jackie. Oh, Corinne and Charlie could not be more pissed. So there's just great facial reactions and responses going on left and right in this scene. There's some fun stuff. And then it annoyed me so much. Marcus will get on my nerves from time to time, and it annoys me how condescending he is. As soon as they're shocked about Jackie going, he says, come on, guys, we got to focus on the challenge. We'll talk about this later. Like, oh, shove it. bang a Let's go, sports fans. Oh, boy. Just wait to see the reaction when you go out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It'll be the opposite of the pelvic thrust. So they get the, the the winning tribe gets the little vegetable herb garden, which Jeff is just saying. It's a renewable source, but it's it's it kind of is. But it's like, dude, they're only out there for 39 days total. And they've are we're already on like what day twelve day thirteen yeah. like do you remember they tried this on day one of of Africa the first time around and we saw how that went somewhere like stop trying to make herb garden in Africa happen yeah like, the herb like, garden only works for the fruit that's pre grown ready to eat right now that's all you're right. gonna get but it's the or, herb garden of Eden guys it's, it's <laughs> theming herb garden Earth's last Eden yeah so like there's probably ripe fruit that's on those things and then there's maybe some that maybe like a day or two or, or a couple days from from but it's like Nothing is going to grow from nothing in the in the amount of time that they have, really. Yeah, I do think you underestimate how fast GC could have eaten that entire thing, though. That's true. That is that is very true. The salad also, bar. Yeah. Only I'm just I, I'm just a simple guy. I just want three pineapples every morning. <laughs> <laughs> they also get though. They also get the salt and the oil and the chili sauce and stuff to flavor up their rice and and corn mm. and beans and whatever. That that's always very good. And also they get to keep whatever fruit that uh, they successfully finagle through the challenge but you know this this is great because you've got some people there you know i i mentioned they have to throw the fruit through the holes but the fruit ninja part comes is that there's two people on each tribe that are that have a basically a bludger stick from like harry potter where they basically have to you know uh they get to basically play defense and swat away any fruit going through the hole so so they could they get to deny any sort of you know, fruit mess from happening, which, you know, the, the people that they choose have various degrees of success. Like if you're ace, you're actually not bad and, and denying a lot of things. And if you're crystal, 
Yeah, this is the legend of Crystal failing at everything really peaks in this challenge where she's nine fucking nine feet tall. She's as tall as the hole, yet she still can't whack a single piece of fruit. They go right past her face every time. And she's got a stick, and I don't know how she can't hit them, and it's the most, one of the most comical things you've seen. I think the most comical moment of the challenge for me, though, is he's just getting hit in the face with a pineapple from, like, point-blank range. You know what's funny is I, I paused that, like the Zapruder film, and I went through it frame by frame. It's not the pineapple that gets him. It's the melon. Oh, damn it. I wish it was yeah. the pineapple. For years, people have repeated it's the pineapple, but it's actually not. If you Zapruder that film, it's a melon that gets something. It gets, I, I, it gets a were... melon, hits him in his bald melon. I'm assuming it was two fruit shooters? Yes, there was a one on the hill. Yes, exactly. And Crystal, Crystal can't get up to that hill. Yeah. And I wonder, so, by the way, I should point out, this is why other countries hate America. This is one of our challenges, deny life-giving food from people by hitting it with a stick. In, in the, the, the funny also thing of this is that, like, yeah, Ace at some point is going to basically fall to the ground like he's literally been shot, you know, when, when a piece of fruit hits him, right? And, and the funny thing about it is this is not the last time in this episode that Ace is going to literally just fall down in ginormous pain from from a challenge where you yeah. sit there and go are you in pain but uh, hit in the face and then he goes back and to the left you can see yeah. back and to the left <laughs> but it, it's good because because the codas seem to be losing because ace is denying uh, a bunch of fruit over there on, on their side he he's doing a very good job in this challenge and then marcus of course was just like throw two at once <laughs> yeah yeah, for some reason, Coda wins this one, too. Coda comes back from, like, nowhere to win this one. Yeah, because, yeah. It, seems like, yeah it seems like Fong is winning, right? And it, mm-hmm. at the end, I was kind of like, I think Fong has this, right? But yeah. nope, they don't. Yeah. Well, it's because yep. Fong also goes for, like, very small fruits. I mean, the yeah. winning combo seems to be Maddie throwing it to Kenny. And you have two catchers, but pretty much the catchers for each tribe are Kenny and Randy. Because Susie and Sugar, they try their best, but they're basically, you know, just playing glorified backup. But I think Fong's just trying to build a steady supply of, like, apples and limes, whereas Coda decides, like, okay, we're going to send two through at once. That helps guarantee that, like, at least one of them goes through. And so they go for bigger things like melons and pineapples that gets them the extra three pounds. Yeah. And plus, you have to remember, at the start of the challenge, Dan is throwing it, like, under the hole and above the hole. It's not the (laughs) the through the hole doesn't kick in until halfway through the challenge. He's throwing it about the hole. About the hole, yeah. In relation to the hole. Cosigned of the whole. I don't know. We're getting into calculus now at this point. But yeah. So yeah. So Coda comes back and wins. 18 pounds of 16 pounds. It's a great comeback win. And there's another great little visual moment. Again, this whole season is just fun little visual moments where, as Jeff is tallying up the uh, the fruit to the way. This is something I didn't even catch until this latest watch, where he's tallying up the the way at the end to see who wins. And Marcus is standing next to Charlie and, and Marcus oh, yeah. leans over to nibble a piece of fruit off Charlie's shoulder and Charlie just looks up at the camera and gets the biggest grin like Marcus just touched me. Uh. <laughs> I love this season. Again, I know this season isn't everyone's cup of tea, but there's people who just viscerally, viscerally hate the season. I don't know how you can hate this season. It's so goofy. So Coda, which includes Randy in his streak, wins this challenge. And they have to choose a Fong member to go to Exile Island. And of course they choose Sugar. Yes. There's a great quote. They asked Dan, why are you sending Sugar back to Exile? He's like, eh, no strategy, purely comedy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good line. Although he does correct that. No, that's strategic. We want to make sure if the idol is with one person, it stays there so everyone knows where it is. So there's a reason to send Sugar back. But here we go. Sugar on her day 12, day 15, whatever it is, at Exile Island. And here we go, and Bob is so excited Coda got that herb garden. He's going to go back there and make sweet love to that thing. 
It'd be like American Pie. Oh boy. All right. So yeah. So uh, so this is where we go back to Coda and Dan. Dan gives this big motivational speech. Like we talked about, he's very earnest and honest. He can't really lie. He says, you know, I love this tribe. I'm with you guys to the end. You know, we're so amazing. We won today. Let's go to the merge. Let's vote everybody out. It's just, it'll be awesome. Let's be, we can't just win. We have to win big. It has to be obvious that we're all together. And just like before, there, Marcus is like, yeah, I don't believe him. <laughs> he's, he's acting weird. Well, it's weird because like, so he's between like Dan or Susie, but it's almost the complete opposite problems that he says like, yeah, Dan's talking a little too much. I think he might be, you know, a little bit like overcompensating. But Susie hasn't really said anything. She's kind of undercompensating. Which one do I go for? Yeah. And meanwhile, here's Randy getting his endgame edit where he says, did you see me in that challenge? Did I kick ass or what? He's like, watch me adapt. I keep adapting. Yeah, yeah it's where he has his line about how he's feeling good. He's Coda Yellow. That's right. I can change personalities. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know that he worked in um, in retail, high-end retail sales. High-end videography. Oh, okay. Which is just not porn business. You want, you want to buy the $20 videotape? I can sell you the $200 videotape. <laughs> yes. You want the beta or do you want the VHS? Which one do you want? It's also nice to know that in an analogy that Randy is the baby bear of Goldilocks, where, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Dan talked too much. Susie talked too little. But Randy, he talks just right. <laughs> All right. So here we go. So we go back to Exile Island. Sugar's just kicking it in the old sugar shack, eating, again, three, four, five servings of fresh fruit every day that nobody else gets. She's like, I love like it. Avocado yeah. and, yeah, mango. And... Gaining weight. <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right. So uh, we go back to Fong. And guess what? Fong's out of rice. <laughs> so. Well, I don't GC, know, I don't know if they're upset. out of rice because Crystal's forcing rice down GC's throat. Yeah, GC wants more rice or doesn't, I forget what, he wants rice or he doesn't like, he's not He's not pleased with the type of rice they have, the consistency, and Crystal tells him in classic Crystal fashion, eat your rice. That's basically shut up. And GC continues with his diatribe to which Crystal once again responds, eat your rice. That is the classic shutdown move in any debate. If you've been to Harvard or Yale, you see that as the debate move. That means basically... I understand your concept, but shut up. I'm right. That's basically what that means. And uh, yeah, so GC and Crystal are just at each other's throats now, and Fong is imploding yet again. Oh, and here's we have Ace. We have Ace laughing off to the side, like the Bond villain that it is. <laughs> He's like doing his little Dr. Evil laugh as Fong implodes around him. And it seems like, I mean, GC is clearly not made for the Survivor game for a variety of reasons, but I think this is really the final thing to light his already short fuse in that it's going to segue into this next before challenge moment. They get tree mail and GC just decides to get in the canoe, paddle away and just have no acknowledgement of him ever returning back to Fung camp. Yeah. And we waste a couple of minutes of airtime here because we can't have a challenge because one of the players is gone. GC decided to leave. He went on a walkabout or something like Kane and Kung Fu. So he's going out and they're like, GC, where are you? And we, we again, we have to, have some airtime here of just waiting for GC to come back. So, but, but what I love is that you know he's not there, he's not responding. Some people are yelling for him, so then they're having a debate on like should they waste the energy to yell for him? And then like he finally comes back, and they're like, we were gonna leave, we had we were gonna have to leave without you, like five minutes and leave, and he just goes, that would have been all right. 
<laughs> yeah, they, they should have ran with Kelly's theory that. What if he got eaten by a monkey, dude? <laughs> I also like Kelly staying there with, like, I don't know if she was changing into her swimsuit, but her pants are just, like, unbuttoned and flapping out in the wind. Like, I don't know where they caught Kelly in whatever process she was undergoing, but she's like, pants are basically down, and she's like, yeah, maybe he got eaten by a monkey, man. Were they Now, were these $20 pants she has pulled down or $200 ones? <laughs> All right, so the immunity challenge, this one, they get the, the uh, tree mail, and this is one they'll be rolling balls down a hill. And this is one we've already talked about earlier that it's – I think we're all big fans of this one. It's it's really neat because it, it uses the topography of Gabon as part of the challenge. Like, well, we got a hill. Let's make a hill challenge. They're throwing balls down a hill, and this one's a really cool one where there's – it's like a – almost like a pachinko machine, if those mm. Japanese uh, pinball machines where the ball goes down, it hits a bunch of obstacles, and then it can go into the, the points at the bottom – and you have a couple of blindfold goalies, blindfolded goalies at the end that are trying to block the ball, and you have collars telling them where to go. And there's a lot of moving parts in this challenge, but if you look at it, it's so simple. They just took a hill, a couple of wicker things, made a little ball, made some uh, obstacles and goals, and it's it couldn't have taken that long to set up, but it's one of the, the identifying challenges of the season. It's it's really kind of cool. And and the couple of moving things that Mario is referring to are literally moving things. So. Basically, it's what five people are going to be throwing balls down. It, it's one round at a time. You know, whoever has the most points at the end of five rounds wins. But there's an additional component to this challenge in addition to these stationary objects that will be moving obstacles. One person from each tribe will hold some sort of like wicker shield to block the ball, but they're going to be blindfolded. And there will be another caller from the tribe standing to the side yelling at them for what to do. So it's almost like combining this pachinko element with also the requisite blindfold challenge, which makes it. A lot of fun with one big moment in particular that I'm sure yeah. we're going to touch upon. This one just looks like an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> but I'm fine with that. It's not me. So anyway, yeah. So Ace is the defender for the Fongs, and Dan is the defender for the Kodas. Once they explain to him when the ball goes in the goal, that means <laughs> it's inside it, not near it or above it or under it or tunneling through the earth down parallel to it. So and then you have a collar. You have a sugar off to the side who uh, instructing Ace where to go left to right, how to block the ball. And you had Randy on the side uh, yelling for Dan for Coda. And this will become very important. Randy becomes a very, very major part of the scene. And this is one that if people haven't watched the season recently, you may forget how cool this is. Right. But I, I do want to preface this before we get into the everything like that is that for as much as I think, I think most of us here, uh, if we're not out, out and out fans, we appreciate what sugar, I, I appreciate what sugar brings to the season very, very much. And so you won't catch me doing a lot of disparaging of sugar. That being said, she is horrific in this challenge. Like they made her the caller and like, she doesn't call. Like, it's not even like, you know, where maybe like Jerry made a few mistakes or, you know, you're right there. Just get it. It's right there. It's right there. It's like, she doesn't really call. She just like, like Ace is just out there and and sugar's like, yeah. Oh, my, my favorite part of this challenge, it's like a, it's like a scripted comedy vaudeville bit is when I think it's after the second round I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit but like Ace pulls Sugar aside and says like listen like you need to be in communication you need to tell me what's going on and Sugar says well nothing he's like no I don't mean right now you need to tell me when I'm on the field (laughs) that's great you know every fashion photographer needs a mime so that's why this worked out great although I will say if you've seen the police academy movies that Sugar is basically Lieutenant Hooks in this one the one who doesn't talk this is a stick up like that's it's a perfect parallel if you've seen the movie that sugar trying to be a caller go left go that being said though fong 
once again gets out to an, a lead, and they actually have the lead until the final round when Randy pulls this ruse. Yeah, there's three rounds. The first, it's five balls. Whoever gets the most points after five balls wins. Uh, after, th- after three, I think Fong is ahead. And then on the fourth ball, Ace is lunging for something as a blindfold on. He cracks his face, face first in the Dan shield, which looks incredibly painful. And he just crumples to the ground. Again, for the second time this episode, he has taken something to his face, which is not does not bode well for our favorite Bond villain. So anyway, going into the last round, it's seven to six Fong. They have a chance to win this immunity. And uh, I will let uh, one of you take it away. This is a fun, exciting ending here. So the, the thing to note is that in the first the first ball that was thrown, the very, very first one, uh, Fong scores five. That's like the maximum you can score. Like the very center uh, little goal area at the bottom of the hill is worth five points. And it's like Fong gets five points in their first throw. And it's like that's clearly the the one where like Randy and Dan have not worked out their communication yet so like the ball gets past dan but in in subsequent rounds dan actually manages to block several of the opponent's balls from get from scoring which is how uh coda catches up a little bit and then there was i think in the third round dan accidentally blocks his own team's ball and so fong scores more points so like fong actually only scores in two rounds they score in the first round they score five points and then in the in the third round when dan blocks his own ball they score two points, so they get seven that way. But in the other rounds, Dan is able to successfully block um, Fong's ball from going in, in the net, and then and Dakota is able to score. And sort of, sort of what happens in this last round is, you know, uh, Fong is ahead seven to six, and the balls are thrown, and Dan successfully blocks Fong's ball. So Fong is, is not there to score, and so... Coda's ball is coming sort of second and Ace is running out there to stop the ball and Sugar is sort of half-heartedly calling and then what does Randy do? Freeze, Ace! Freeze! Yeah. For those of you who aren't following that, Randy tricks the other team's uh, goalie into stopping. Dan's about to go, or Ace is about to go over and stop Coda's, or, uh, Coda's ball and Randy tricks him by yelling, stop, freeze! And Ace stops and the ball goes right into the goal past Ace and Randy just tricks the tricks two extra points for Coda and Coda wins the game. It's very outside the box clever. I mean, I mean, Ace knew that Sugar was her caller, but I mean, I, I think that's that's valid, right? Like you're blindfolded. You're trying to play the game like you hear your name freeze like, you know, you have to you're going by instinct and you're trying to hear what's going on. And it's like, yeah, clearly Randy is not sugar. But, you know, someone called out his name and directions like, aren't you going to listen? You know, like it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, sure, it's just an instinct. And I'm sure Randy had been waiting to do that the entire game. Just you only get one chance to do it, so he's saving it until the end. I'm sure that's what he's doing. But it was such a, uh, I might say, game-changing move. Oh, I see what you did there. Unfortunately, I would say this is the climax of the episode because basically the post-immunity challenge stuff, outside of Crystal looking through Sugar's bags, essentially GC saying, yep, I'm quitting. I want to go home. Please vote me out. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, GC's done. Yeah, we're just going to skim through this because we're very late on our podcast here. But yeah, so uh, GC says, all right, that's it. We lost again. I'm done. I'm going to quit. And the only other thing, like Mike said, was that Ace and Sugar are talking about the idol. And Ace is like, well, did you hide it somewhere? And Sugar's like, oh, it's in my bag. And then we cut to Crystal saying, hey, let's look through her bag. So everyone looks through her bag. They know that Sugar has the idol. And we go to Tribal Council. And basically, they're going to vote out GC tonight. He wants to go home. He doesn't care. But it does come up. Hey, you know. What if Sugar has the idol? And there's a really interesting thing I wanted to mention here at Tribal Council where where Sugar basically brags that she leaves her bag out in the open. Like Jeff says, 
do you worry that people might have looked at your bag? And and she's like, oh, no, I just leave it there. I don't care. And it, it kind of comes up like, is it actually a better strategy to have people know you have the idol or not know you have the idol? And it's one of these things you never know with Sugar. Is she like very calculating and clever with this stuff? Or is she just careless and doesn't care that much and isn't good? But it's hard to say because there's all this this confusion over like if we know she has the idol, does that make her more powerful? Because now we can't vote her out. So it's 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 very kind of interesting, and I'm sure we could have an interesting discussion about that. But it's very vague in the episode if she even means to do this. Hmm. No, that's a that's a good point. But I think it's interesting in that I feel like from what we had heard from the other members of the Falling Tribe, they had pretty much assumed she had the idol no matter what. So this is only like substantiating you know, their thoughts, maybe it's only adding like a modicum of amount to Sugar's reputation or the amount of danger that she brings to the game. But maybe it's just because it's not like, you know, somebody coming in and saying like, yeah, you know, if Dan dumped out his bag and said, I don't have the idol, and then they find the idol in his bag the next day, that grows extremely suspicious of Dan. But since Sugar was like pretty cagey to begin with, maybe it doesn't glean, you know, that much of much of a worse reputation because they already know, like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Sugar... I mean, they voted out Jackie because they assumed that Sugar had the idol. So you have to you have to imagine that they're sort of operating under the assumption as it is. Finding the idol itself just sort of brings validity to that claim. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. Although I, it's something else I noticed when I was watching this episode. I'm like, you know, what's funny is that Sugar barely even knows anybody on this tribe. She's barely even been there. She's been at the Sugar Shack all, all the time. So it's we have an interesting interesting dynamic coming up where Ace and Sugar are going to be very powerful after this episode. But Sugar really doesn't have any ties to anybody but Ace at this point. It's just going to be a weird dynamic. All right, so we finish this episode. GC gets voted out. Goodbye to the Golden Child. And ironically, that, that night they feast by eating all the rice. So there you go. Goodbye, GC. I mean, just one of those guys. He was in a lot of the storyline here in the early episodes, but people tend to forget about him, which is ironic because they later named Game Changers after him. GC, I don't know if you saw, ever knew that. Trivia, Survivor <laughs> Trivia. Yeah, so GC's gone, and he, he even tells us, you know, I, have a, I had a hard life. I don't need to suffer anymore. This is terrible. And So, yeah, so, I mean, there was some, there was some story, um, some depth to his story, but I think at the end he was pretty much, we were just kind of tired of him, and everyone else was tired of him. So I think he lasted about as long as he was supposed to. Well, yeah, and and they hinted around it. And and again, I think it was good storytelling and they spared it because I think that GC was getting on people's nerves around camp. And I think it was mainly because he kept wanting to eat the rice, you know, and I'm not saying that he just ate the rice at will because rice is something you have to cook and prepare and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, clearly food was an issue for him because he was struggling out there. He was hungry and which I get. And, you know, it, it became a thing. But I think you're right in the sense that, you know, he he wasn't doing well in challenges and I think he probably wasn't doing well in challenges because he was hungry and you know not firing on all cylinders uh that way and then it just sort of spiraled where like he just was out there and he was miserable and you know you when you get characters that are out there and are just miserable they just kind of fade out and that's sort of what happened yep and with that we have gone through four episodes or the first five hours of Survivor Gabon we are officially in the thick of it now friends and it only took us almost four to talk about it. <laughs> that was impressive. But yeah, it's this is one of those things. I know a lot of people out there don't want Gabon. It's funny for every one of our listeners who said, oh, I'm so excited for Gabon. I've been waiting for this. I just have another one who has emailed us and said, 
Yeah, just get through Gabon. I hate Gabon. And so I'm like, I really hope those people, the second group there, are listening to this and maybe watch the season again and give it another chance. Because, yeah, through four episodes, it's nothing amazing so far. But there's been a lot of fun little character moments, goofy dialogue, goofy scenes, just background jokes. Bob wanting to have sex with an herb garden. Like, I don't even, I don't know, some of the stuff in this episode in the season you can't really explain, but I hope you at least give it a chance as just a an odd outlier of Survivor that doesn't really fit in with any other season. And it's going to get even more bizarre and even more, become more of an outlier as we go on. It really is one of those unique seasons that has no equal. It doesn't have a peer. It doesn't have an equal. I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying it's terrible. It just, it's Gabon. There's no equivalent to Gabon. And I always have so much fun trying to make a case for a season that may have a lot of haters out there. So I'm having a lot of fun and I'm excited for the adventure to continue. I hope we're good enough salespeople that we're really, you know, bringing people in on the high end season that is Survivor Gabon. Yeah, let us know. Is this like a $20 podcast or a $200 podcast? Let us know. Please don't be condescending sometimes. <laughs> because you, you can find those in the same store. Yeah. <laughs> right. Plus, Paul's hot. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. So, thanks. Yeah, we, we should probably stop. We're definitely between time right now. <laughs> God, those preposition jokes, they're endless. I just want to mind the whole podcast. You guys. Yeah, this whole podcast, I'm just thinking of, okay, what's the next preposition joke I can make? All right. Let's just not end the podcast with a preposition. All right. Exactly. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, English teacher. All right. So, I think that's it for Gabon. We will uh, hopefully have be get this one posted very quick quick and then have a quick turnaround because we want to uh, get as many podcasts out this summer before our uh, temp leaves us for people he loves more. Um, sorry. Sorry. No guilt. Anyway, uh, so uh, that's uh, about it. As uh, That's about it for Gabon. Um, as always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. And I'm Paul Austin. And if you don't tune in for part two, we're going to burn this place down. Talk to you guys later. Kelly, do you think Ace is an asset to your tribe? Um, in some cases, because he's almost condescending in a way. How is condescending a good thing? It's not a good thing at all sometimes. Eat your rice. <laughs>